and Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the veil of screams this episode are... Hey, my name is Paul, and uh, what is an Italian stormcast called Malice? I don't know. A bel accord! <laughs> I'm, I'm Phil, and today I am coming here to share with you the great news of our Lord and Savior Croak, who is bringing to you the gospel of the great plan. <laughs> uh, and I'm Aaron, and the Stormcast staying at the Hotel Chaman can check out anytime they like. In this episode, we cover the lore of Broken Realms, <laughs> Bellacor. Did you guys hear that? It's the sound of Bellacor plotting and planning and scheming, and he's going to do whatever he can to regain the Chaos God's notice, even if he has to wreck a realm or two to do it. But at least for us, he has our curiosity, and now he has our attention. Let's see what he's up to. <laughs> hey, guys. How are you tonight? Doing good. I love it. Yeah. Phil, how are you? Yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Super ready to talk about this because... Uh, Hey, we haven't heard much about Bellacor in quite a while. And uh, I'm always game when I hear stories about Seraphon. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You've been lining up. We've just been chomping at the bit. Um, and in just a moment, in just in, in mere heartbeats, we will talk about this story. But before we do, maybe we take a moment to just catch folks up on uh, what we've been working on in, in the hobby. What have we been doing with our precious time? Um, I'd love to hear about it. Paul, what, what have you uh, What have you been up to? I have returned to my Harkiron army. Um, there is actually a tournament on the horizon for me, so I need to get that painted up. I... I'm kind of not looking forward to it in one sense because I literally have no idea how to play Age of Sigmar whatsoever at all anymore. <laughs> it's been two years since I played a game and I'm like, I'm going to just like have to start from the beginning and figure out how to play this army. So I'm going to need to read the rule book and then Cities of Sigmar and then Harkiron and like I was making my army list and I was throwing in models and then I was reading the rules for them and be like, oh, I literally can't use this model if I do this combination. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't field it in my army list. That sounds bad. Uh, so, I mean, but now I'm yeah. wondering, like, do you think you can get away with it, like just faking it? Because the new edition is going to be out any day now, and yeah. you're going to have to do it all over again. Can't you just wait that little bit longer uh, in, in, in the third edition? List? Nope. Not I could just say that I'm a playtester and I learned third edition, and that's why I'm so confused about the rules, right? People would buy oh, that, man. right? <laughs> totally, totally. Except for the complete like lack of knowledge of three point oh, it's gonna work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, but no one's uh, gonna remember. Like, <laughs> no one's gonna remember <laughs> that. <laughs> and then white dwarf ghost him, and then they'll never see you again. Awesome. Uh, Phil, what have what have you been doing with your time? Uh, I've been well, obviously doing what the hex. Uh, we've been having to try and desperately keep up with the breakneck pace of underworld's releases that have been coming out lately uh and i've also been working on painting the starblood stalkers the seraphon warband for underworlds uh feels good haven't painted anything in quite a while but these guys these guys feel pretty good oh yeah Uh, just wish that uh actually had like this quality of saurus for uh aos because once we got look kind of derpy. 
you're just gonna have to buy a whole bunch of these of these <laughs> buy boxes. a forty dollar box, but yeah, like repeatedly, uh, over one hundred and twenty times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems cost effective. <laughs> I just bought like eight Arachnorok kits and then used those goblins on my spider riders. I mean, it's totally a reasonable thing to do. I swear. Sure. I mean, what's money, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Who needs it? It's just a made-up concept. <laughs> just a made-up. <laughs> Can't take it with you, Phil. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I just your comment about the breakneck speed about these releases. Like, it, I felt like I, I didn't feel this way in in previous seasons that they were. You know, I, I didn't feel like they were coming out too rapidly. And granted, I think maybe the release schedule this year has been a little different but like i can't keep can't keep like the releases straight and i'm the guy who keeps releases straight that's my that's yeah. my gig that's what i do i mean um that's and the whole reason that. you're in this hobby play. so yeah i agree it's been it's been tough to keep up with them i still don't have the vampires um but any day now uh and what have i been working on still slanesh stuff um i'm almost done with the hell flare nice what's called the chariot um, thing yeah just putting put all yeah yeah all those wheels huh did you finish all those yeah, wheels uh yeah oh that's the thing that i'm almost done with um driving me nuts actually and i was worried about having to file those down but they're actually easier than honestly some of the other com- bits and components to it so that's not the end of the world um nice huh? so just just plugging along on that i feel like we just had this conversation but again speaking of rapid releases these broken realms books have come up pretty quick so we did just sort of talk about this uh, not too long ago um, but that is what I've been working on. And uh, with that being said, if you guys have no other uh, projects or things you want to talk about, we could probably just hop into, what do we call it? The store-eye phase? Is that right? I, that sounds sounds familiar to me. I'm really close. I think it's, I almost got it. Uh, Paul, I, I, know Paul know, I know Paul knows what it is. Let's hear him talk, uh, take us there. <sighs> In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. You guys, it was the story phase. I was so close. It, it, oh. it was. You, you totally nailed it. Yeah, gosh, I was right there. I was right there. All right, so another Broken Realms book. This one's about Bellicor, big wingy demon dude. Um, but before we talk about him, maybe we try and catch people up uh, on some pertinent information that informs the story that we are about to talk about here. Uh Yet again, another, um, I don't want to say completely separate, but it, it feels like it's a relatively self-contained story as compared to some of the other ones. But I'm sure there's tidbits that are, are worth knowing going into it. Uh, is there anything you guys think that our listeners ought to know before we discuss this story? Um, the big thing is this story appears to be not at the same time as Marathi, Teclis, or Wrath of the Everchosen. I buy that. Uh, I agree. It, it seems to have moved past. And the reason I say that is because there's literally a couple pages summary at the beginning of the book saying, oh, hey, all this other stuff happened in these other books. So <laughs> if you don't want spoilers, don't read Bellacor first. You can read Teclis first. You can read Marathi first. You can read Wrath of the Everchosen first. And you'll be pretty okay without having any major spoilers. If you read Bellacor first, you're going to spoil all three of those tomes. Yeah. So I, I would I would suggest that's true. Going back and uh, checking those out if you haven't. And you know it's even worth noting that like this retroactively uh, involves Bellacor in some of the the events of some of those previous stories, so thus necessitating this one coming after the fact that like those previous mm-hmm. events wouldn't have happened had Bellacor not had his little like spiky fingers involved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the um, 
things that you ought to know about this or know going into this story is you should probably get caught up on the um, the crusade, I guess you could call it, between like Marathi's forces and the Stormcast forces who are invading um, the eight points in order to destroy, quote unquote, which we know this isn't exactly the goal, to d- destroy, destroy the uh, the Varanite that uh, is hanging out in... Varanvax is more... There you go. Um, mm. uh, in in the eight points, and so because of that, that um, the the effect of that sort of I'm going to use the word crusade again um, provides uh, sort of an impetus for a story uh, beat that occurs in this story. So uh, that that has already occurred uh, mm-hmm. thus far in the timeline. Uh, has got any other ones? What else? Uh, well, Wrath of the Everchosen has definitely already occurred because in. Uh, Wrath of the Everchosen, Lady Olinder is banished. But Lady Olinder, if you even read just the Dramatis Personae at the beginning, which I really like that they're doing this, they're putting all the characters in that are going to be included. Yeah. Um, you're able to see that Lady Olinder is a major character in this book. So we have passed past the point of her discorporation and her coming back into the realms, which makes you think that perhaps this happened before the end of uh, Broken Realms Techless, but not before the actual end of Broken Realms Techless, because Lady Olinder comes back. But if, big spoilers again, if you haven't read Broken Realms Techless, Nagash is gone. So how did Olinder come back? And did she come back beforehand? Did she come back afterhand? And like, that's actually an interesting twist that we have on this story. How is Olinder acting? And would this be something that she would do if Nagash were there? Yeah, yeah, true. I I agree that it, I think this one is like the latest chronologically, but I think Teclas ends after this book just because I feel like the death of Nagash would, or the, I guess the breaking of Nagash would probably have been a big enough deal that it would have come up at some point in Broken Realms, mm-hmm. Bellacore, and it never does. So, I don't know. Or well, it's, just nobody knows. Well, you would th- when you would think, I mean, Olinder has enough screen time, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, that you would think she would have a comment to say about, about <laughs> this. Um, but it does or, say in the book that the events yeah. in Teclas... Uh, the the world shaking events that are uh, that are actively occurring provide some of the uh, cover for Bellacore to get up to what he's getting up to, and so like it very well yeah. could be sort of overlapping with a lot of the events of Teclas, because while that's going on, right. a lot of attention is directed in that you know in in Shyashur Hish, uh, thus allowing him to get you know sneaky all up in Chaman, mm-hmm. which for everyone who's listening, a lot of this book takes place in Chaman. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the other things that I, I think is important is it is my old saw, and I know it's my old saw, but I think the unreliable narrator really raises <laughs> the head here uh, because when you read Broken Realms Teclas, everything's kind of happy and great, and Teclas is doing great, and he's spreading hope. And when you're reading Broken Realms Marathi, Marathi, everything was to the plan, and it all worked out great except for that one – that one moment, but the same thing kind of happens here with Bellacor, um, is that everything is great and everything is great. And then something happens and, Oh, Oh, right. No, but that's totally fine. We're all fine here. It's all fine now. And so that's why we're kind of vacillating back and forth about when this is happening, because Nagash Mm. could have happened beforehand. It could have happened after we don't really have any idea because it's not pertinent to this story. 
And this one in particular has its own narrative impetus that really pushes through as you're reading from Act 1 to Act 2 to Act 3. And if you were to include that at any point, it would really slow down the action or take your attention away from where the story is really pushing. So um, I, I think part of it is the necessity of telling the, cel- the story of Bellacor, but I think also a lot of it is this is really told from Bellacor's perspective. And I I think because a lot of these are like, this is what I did. This is how I did it. We're going to hear a lot of that in this story. Um, so it's a very enjoyable read. Uh, buckle in and uh, hang on tight for the ride for sure. Um, so I think maybe we've, <laughs> we've uh, I think we've set the stage as well as we're ever going to. How about uh, we stop being around the bush and, and jump right in to this here story uh, and start with uh, start with Act One, um, which I think it's called. It's just called the Tower Falls. Wow, that's a little mm-hmm. ominous. The, I like my towers yeah. upright. Gosh, yeah. darn it. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, Where's the story start? Where do, where, do, where do they drop us in on on this tale? Um, it should be a. It seems like a familiar place. It's pretty on the nose here, I think. Uh, and that the the first segment of the story is named the Bloodwind Spoil, and that's where our story begins. Oh, nice! <laughs> Basically, they they bring us here because they outline the general machinations of the eater of tomes is one of mm-hmm. the uh, gaunt summoners of zinch and uh so the tower reference here is then talking about uh his silver tower and the story i mean i guess the way i would sort of put it is that it uh it it outlines that the seraphon and croak have realized that there's this plan going on by the Gaunt Summoner uh, to use Veronite to corrupt Realm Gates. And they want to just give you a lay of the land for, like, here's where the story is going to be taking place. And then they basically give a quick synopsis of uh, the Bloodwind Spoil and where everything is located there and where where the silver tower is so that when we get in there you kind of know what's going on yeah well it it kind of picks up um it this is rare i think in these books where it actually picks up sort of where this part of the story ended in marathi that we didn't necessarily get to see the end of right so like right. in marathi we saw the the fight of the stormcast battling in the bloodwind spoils against uh, the, you know the forces of chaos and like oh no their souls are getting sucked up into the the chaos shrines van brecht boogies on out of there in order to, you know, spread the word and sort of, you know, mm-hmm. oh, oh, crud, we, you know, we got betrayed, yada, yada, yada. But we never saw what happened to everybody else there. And I personally had resigned myself to never knowing. I was just like, I don't know, they got rid of <laughs> uh, that, that was the end of them. I mean, you were supposed to maybe think that, like, this was um, the end of the line for all, the, you know, that giant force that had been marched out into the Bloodwind spoils. But we find, as, as we're sort of caught up, as, you know, Phil mentioned that talking about sort of late setting the stage, and we're dropped right back into that story. And it turns out, well, no, that, that wasn't the end of it. And uh, many of them, I mean, not even, not even say many, a few of them, definitely not many, uh, were able to sort of <laughs> fight their way through out of, you know, through that fight and start booking their way back right. to their entry point um, to the Genesis game, Gen- right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one. 
<laughs> got it, man. I'm really good at this lore yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, so um, that I mean, that was, I, I didn't expect to ever see those folks again. And of course, I don't remember most of their names, but I mean, they were important. Mm-hmm. Sure, they were really important. Um, and so, in doing so, it it um, gives us sort of this perspective that uh, ends up being minor into the grand scheme of things. But like, it, it it lets you know that you know the story's continuing on even when you're not looking. Um, True, which was which was kind of cool. A couple of details, if you don't mind me mentioning. Um, so. Varenthax's Maw, which is where we had catacombs show up and where Broken Realms Marathi, in the little map of the Bloodwind Spoil, is now called the the Fields of Sorrow. The battlefields around Varenthax's Maw are littered with the corpses and marked by great chaos shrines proclaiming victory in the name of the Dark Gods. So this is literally the place where the Stormcast are running from. But then the, the next thing that we're being... Um, guided towards is the Eater's Lair, which is the gaunt summoner known as the Eater of Tomes, has dwelt within the Silver Tower, half buried in the Vale of Screams, which is just north of Lost Valorum, which is the campaign that was in uh, the 2020 um, uh, Warcry compendium for the end of the year. So I kind of wish I had read that now to see if there are any plot oh. tie-ins for going on to the Eater of Tomes. And I feel like Pavin would have like prepared and been like, oh, I looked this up and I, I made sure that this matched and this matched. And, and now I feel inadequate. And, well. and there's never an episode that we record where there's not at least one thing where I realize, nope, I should have read that before we did this. <laughs> Without well, fail, there's always some little tidbit that I should have. There, there's the pitch. Go, go back and read some Warcry lore. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, so the the Stormcaster booking they're head, they're head, making this long trek back to the the Genesis Gate, uh, and um, fortunately the gate is in I'll say Order's hands, right? So this is the the Realm of Life Gate into the eight points that Lariel had to open up in the first place, um, but it needs to be held because it's not you don't just have to worry about chaos on the the eight point side, but you got to worry about chaos on the Realm of Life side too, chock full of Nurgle uh, champions and things. And knowing that this gate needs to be held, and I'd, I'd, is Nurgle being sent by anybody? The Nurgle forces being sent by anybody in particular, or are they just they're always just there knocking on the door. They need they need Stormcast to hold the gate on their side, and so Gardas with his Seal Souls were sent to to basically hold H- Hodor the door open for them, <laughs> uh, so that the yeah. Stormcast can <laughs> for sure. uh, make their way back. Um, and so you've got Gardas on our on the Realm of Life side, our side. Like I belong to the Realm of Life, uh, though. If I had to pick one, that's probably where I'd go. Uh, <laughs> it. Um, so they're fighting Nurgle forces on on the good guy side of the gate, while the other Stormcasts are, you know, r- racing for their lives on the eight point side to get to it. Um, the Sylvaneth are either nowhere to be found or on their way, but the, they're irrelevant to this plot point. However, there's some rustling in the trees. There's some rustling in, uh, in the underbrush, and you look and you think, well, trees, realm of life. What? Here come the Sylvaneth. No. It's some scaly nonsense. Uh, yeah. I, I, mean, I want to hear, hear Phil talk about the scaly yeah. nonsense. So, so, yeah, I mean, so there's some scaly nonsense. And it's, it's basically a significant star host, um, specifically a star host. So they're the celestial seraphon. They're not the uh, coalesced seraphon. And uh, this is the group called the Dracothian's Tale. Um, 
which we know because they mentioned the Slon or name later on, which is mm-hmm. actually a callback to a previous uh, Seraphon battle tome, where if you took the battalion for Dracothian's Tale, the Slon that you had gained this name. I mean, it wasn't actually a named character, but your Slon just had a name. And uh, he had a Carnosaur uh, Old Blood that came with him. And he also had just a name because he was part of this battalion. It had like nothing to do with being named characters. But anyway, those characters are in this story. So we know where they're from. And uh, they've been sent by Croak to go deal with the Silver Tower. And so their whole deal, because Croak was like, hey, distraction time. Let's, Let's get these guys in there while Chaos is looking the other way. So they come flying out of the jungle and Steel Soul is like, oh, we're saved. And then they just keep on running through the gate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I think there's actually a section. Yeah, there's a whole page as the last of the Seraphon go through the gate where uh, uh, Grim is basically like turns to guard us and it's just like, what just happened, man? Like, I thought we were safe <laughs> and they just abandoned us. Like, I thought they were supposed to be our allies. And uh, yeah, so so a great, a great representation of the fickle, fickle alliance between anybody and Seraphon because Seraphon don't mess around. I got to I got to follow that great plan. This was this not a lost cause, but the, the, the Stormcast are in trouble. Like they needed. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like they were, it wasn't like they were doing fine. And oh. like, oh, who cares? Like they needed that help. They, they thought they were doomed. They lose. With, <laughs> like, they don't win. Yeah. Or I mean, yeah. well, I mean, Gardas doesn't survive it. But um, so, yeah, it, they, it was a need that the Seraphon had no interest in filling. Well, the other thing I love is that the Slon is like, oh, no, no, no. We need you here. Because we need you as a distraction. Like, this is perfect. We need you, literally, to hold this gate for us. But we're just going to, like, kind of just slip through. You you, you don't see us here. It shouldn't be that big of a deal, (laughs) right? It's it's fine. Yeah. I like to picture it. It's like the Jurassic Park going through the tall grass (laughs) attacking attacking the people that the Velociraptors just keep going and then you never see them again. (laughs) I think the, the make it even better like they planned it knowing they're like oh oh so the eight points guys are also distracting all the chaos ridiculousness <laughs> the so we'll use that and the, this point in the at the genesis gate and basically just have a human shield in the form of stormcast so that we can mm-hmm. make our way to the silver tower yeah well and let's point out that these are this is the race that literally has spaceships that they can land anywhere and they're like well we you know we could have landed a a spaceship in the eight realms but let's just like run behind this other battle because it's you know it's a little bit less work i don't think it's specifically mentioned anywhere and it certainly is a like terrible like gap in the plot but i don't think that they can just go in and out of the eight points at will it, it actually does say it says that it the yeah. forces of chaos are so disruptive so disruptive that they couldn't just they couldn't just teleport them in they couldn't just um beam me down scotty then see, right into see, the eight there points. you go yeah, yeah but i mean can't you just <laughs> i mean who doesn't want a ziggurat in the eight realms i mean it's got yeah. four sides maybe more points on it. i don't know 
I mean, this is coming, this is, this is getting ahead of ourselves, but those ziggurats have another job that they're going to need to do. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, the other super salient point here is that, um, Croak is running through because he wants to take out the silver tower for the Eater of Tomes. But he doesn't want to just take out the Silver Tower of the Eater of Tomes. He hates, like, all the Silver Towers because they mess with the the Astro Matrix, right? Which is his, like, bread and butter baby, which determines the ley lines and, to use Piven Stroke from the last episode, which was amazing, the professional lines to figure <laughs> out where the magic is going. Uh, yeah. So this is, like, step one of Croak's plan. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess to elaborate on that a bit, that Croak was worried. I mean, I, it sounds like because they know the Silver Towers are connected to all the realms, including the Chaos Realm, which is weird uh, because mm-hmm. no one else really directly connects to the Chaos Realm. But uh, with access to all of the realm gates from the Silver Towers, they were also very worried about the experiments with Veronite because they were going to try and corrupt realm gates and knowing mm-hmm. that the realm gates are connected to the astral matrix which binds all the magic of all the realms that would ruin the great plan mm-hmm. and then we need to stop that so the answer i guess is blow up the silver towers <laughs> uh we brought phil to talk about seraphon and talk about seraphon <laughs> we're going to um, so all right they're, they're through the gate they've uh, all their enemies have been distracted they've got a they can make a beeline to the silver tower uh, tell me about that phil sure can so so similar to the stormcast but kind of in reverse they're now having to fight their way across the eight points and so they're I think, if I remember it correctly, they don't really hit hard resistance until they actually get to the valley where uh, the Eater of Tomes hangs out. Mm-hmm. But when they get there, then it becomes mm-hmm. like Demon Central and there are a lot of uh, chaos forces they have to fight their way through. Um, and they are fighting like they don't even care if they die, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a suicide mission. And that's fine, evidently. Um, I think, and I don't remember where, so I will not be able to quote it directly, but I thought it was interesting that they actually made a point of saying, like, uh, all the chaos energy in the eight points is so bad for the slan that comes with them that uh, it's, like, actually hurting him to even be in the eight points. Um, There's also... uh a couple times where the eight points itself actually attacks the slan or attacks, right. I'm sorry, attacks the Seraphon. So they don't meet any resistance from the Eater of Tomes until they get much, much closer. But the eight points, as in the realm itself, is attacking the Seraphon. Uh, so that's a, a massive, like, oh, okay, so we're going all grr on the Seraphon now, but we're <laughs> at the eight points. I get it. This is a thing now. Yeah. OG haters of chaos. chaos I, like, right back. I, I, I did like how, you know, like, uh, like a Mr. Meeseek's existence is pain in the eight points. For, <laughs> yeah. uh, for exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this, uh, part of the story is kind of just exposition to be like, Hey, look, this is some cool stuff that the Seraphon are doing. And they like elaborate on how they're fighting and how they're being attacked. But like, 
I would actually say that until they get to uh, the actual Silver Tower, there's not a ton of actual story development here, which is a little disappointing, but I'm I'm perfectly happy to hear anything that talks about Seraphon because they don't come up in stories all that often. Um, uh, that seems like a perfect segue to say, uh, if you are interested in stories about S- Seraphon, you should pick up White Dwarf issue 463 and read specifically the Warhammer Age of Sigmar Flashpoint Broken Realms, which is a massive, massive Seraphon versus Bellacor uh, story that basically is another chapter in this book. It is unclear whether or not it's a prequel or concurrent with what's going on, but it's like 10 pages of awesome lore talking about where Bellacor got his bloodthirster and his Lord of Change from and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's a great deep dive into uh, the Seraphon and how they predict the future and figure out what's going on. So that's cool. Right on. Yeah. So the Seraphon roll up to the tower. Isn't it at some point that they, 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 like they're, they're getting close. Like they fought some, some battles, but they get close to it and they're like, where is everybody? Like what's going on? And it's at that last minute that the portals start opening up and then the demons start pouring out. And then there's a mm-hmm. yeah big old yep. fight. Um, there's a, this is where we're introduced to Atrazan, the immolator. Uh, right. So he's a big, um, Herald of Zinch on like one of their he is a Herald of Zinch screamer mm-hmm. chariot things, um, and so he's he, he's he's an emulator, so he's just emulating people uh, left and right. Um, there's like a series of like uh, aerial attacks, and so like what are the Seraphon going to do? They got their Pterodon riders, but they're not necessarily a, a, a like a sky <laughs> force to be reckoned with. But then lo and behold, uh, uh, magic fingers, and they get uh, they start launching their Carnosaurs up into the sky, yeah. and like it's it ends up being a. a t-rex sky fight uh which yeah. is delightful <laughs> um how yeah. terrifying is that i feel like i can fly so like, right i'm on a yeah. disc and like oh wait he's got a t-rex <laughs> he's got a freaking carnosaur crap yeah. <laughs> t-rex um, flying t-rex which i mean i think is actually great because it's so it's one of the spells that Aslan has in their war scrolls. And so it's, it's just a great elaboration of like, this is what it would actually look like when a character from the game is doing these things that you see on the tabletop all the time. But here's like details of what it would look like and what it would be like. Um, just give you that extra oomph in trying to imagine uh, what a Aslan would actually look like as they're giving flight to all of their followers around them i think a lot of these books are trying to do something similar in that they're trying to show off what a what a given unit can do um however none of the units can do anything as cool as make like a flying carnosaur so like when i'm reading about how (laughs) how strong the lumineth uh spear and like shield guys are holding their phalanx like i okay sure neat cool i'm glad i'm glad to see that (laughs) it doesn't compare to flying carnosaurs like if you're going to show off what a unit can do make sure that the the things that the unit can do are awesome um people with their spears um but it's not necessarily the flying carnosaur that really drives the seraphon's point home but they're able to um, is it, this is one of, one of like two points where like the, um, the ankylosaur equivalents, uh, with the, the bastillodons, yeah, bastillodons with the, the, 
um, the oh, gems. Engines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the light cannons <laughs> uh, on their backs, right? Because this is where they start lighting up the base of the tower. They're able to fight the solar engines. Too. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yep. I believe that they ha- first they have uh, they they start to crack the tower first. Oh yeah. Am yeah. I remembering that correctly? Uh, <laughs> they've got some croxagor, which don't show up. I don't think very often. Uh, but they're they're getting to work trying to hammer the thing down. That's not working. And then they're shooting at it. Uh, and then I think basically as uh, is this where the Eater of Tomes basically decides that uh, things have gone awry and he needs to yeah. get out of here? Yeah, they, he, they've breached his defenses. He's already sort of low on, on his defenders. It's worth noting that like as part of the distraction, he was sending his followers after the Stormcast. So like back home, he isn't as strong as he would have been. And in fact, I think he's gone for a hot second, but then he rolls back up like halfway through the fight. He realizes, right. well, no, 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 like this enough is enough. Um, I know, I mean, uh, it's the better part of valor. I'm going to, I'm going to wink out of existence and take my tower. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Like I don't need to, yeah. I don't need to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he's able to, from his teleportation circle inside his tower, he's able to conjure a teleportation spell and, and uh, poof his tower uh, to someplace else, which I mean, we knew that these were capable capable of doing that. The silver towers are never permanently locked in any one place. And this is just another example of him yeah. saying, well, nope, uh, it's too rich for my blood. And he's going to teleport out to the uh, the void in between. And there's a term for it, the void in between realms, because it's a mm-hmm. better place. If you're going to hide, like that seems yeah. like a great location to hide. No one's ever going to find yeah. him there. Nobody, no one, do you, never. Do you know what the great thing is, though? Do you know how he makes this happen? He just snaps his fingers. When you're a jet, you're a jet to the last from your first cigarette to your last dying gasp, right? Because the silver tower takes off like a jet. All right. I'm sorry. That was a belabored joke. Go ahead. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that one. I didn't understand. Uh, I'm glad you explained it. So I'm not confused <laughs> anymore. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, no, so now he's safe. Yeah. He thinks he's safe. Totally safe. I mean, you're in the void of space. What can attack you in the void of space? It didn't even, it didn't even occur to me, Phil, that this is a fight between, like, your, I think your two favorite armies, I believe. It is, actually. Oh, it that's is. awesome. That's Zinch awesome. And so, uh, Zinch teleports away, and, and Phil's like, whew, thank God. But then it turns out they're not safe, and then you're like, whew, thank God. Because um, who's there waiting for them? Uh, well, from the sounds of it, it sounds like... like all the seraphon <laughs> i mean i don't remember i don't know if they gave a number uh but it said a number of uh ziggurat temple ships were flying around out there just waiting for him to show up uh and like i think to if i remember there was a short story from a while ago that explained that one of these ziggurat temple ships is like an entire city basically flying around in space and they have mm-hmm. like uh what's it called um spawning pools well they have spawning pools but like they've recreated jungles of lustria inside of the temples and they're huge and basically like every one of these houses an entire uh like star host and so having more than one of these waiting for the silver tower when it shows up seems like a big deal uh and specifically it was uh, also headed up by Croak's ship, which 
uh, is a callback to the city where Croak's remains were hanging out in the old world, which is Itza. Uh, nice. The name is Itza something, and I can't find Itza Witlan. It's the name of his temple ship. So now a nice little pizza. callback. Yeah, eat some pizza. Well, but but for him, it literally probably is Itza. Like he literally probably well, took the be. city with yeah. him from the old world. Like it's not a callback. Right, right. It's which, literally just like yeah. It actually is the temple city of Pisa, probably. Like, hey, it's a little bit of the old world right here in your face, flying in space, yeah. attacking a silver tower. Yeah, actually, I guess remembering back to the Broken Realm stories, the, the Slan, when they realized that the world was doomed, actually just got in the temple ships. All of the temple guard, like, got off and started defending the temples, and then they literally just, like, jetted and flew up into space and then just were like, bye, Everybody else, you're you're done. <laughs> we failed. Uh, sorry, but you know. And thanks the for great the great plan. Let's go on. Yeah, the, the the great plan did not include us dying in a terrible fire as the world collapsed. <laughs> Peace out. Bye. Oh, there was oh there was a back to the great plan. I didn't see that there was more to. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have yeah. Okay. yeah. The great plan says I must now abandon the old world. All right, cool, cool. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, uh, and so it's a welcoming party. What are they? Uh, welcoming? Do they give them? Yeah. Um, so, number one, there is a dragon that's wrapped itself around one of the ziggurats, which I was like, "Well, that's kind of cool." Is that Dracothian? I mean, we've talked about how the star host that came down was Dracothian's tail. So, do we have a god beast? God beast assisting the uh, the Seraphon assault. So that was kind of a cool call out. But then. The ziggurats not only can fly, but they can launch battle barges. <laughs> they launch battle barges into the side of the silver tower. And it's Space Hulk, but it's AOS. And instead of you know Space Marines and Gene Stealers, it's Horrors and Seraphon just smashing into each other and uh, doing some red work inside of the silver tower. But the uh, silver tower is not defenseless. They throw some... They throw some- uh, more demons and stuff at him, right? And they're casting mm-hmm. spells, and like, don't doesn't one of the temple ships get taken down too? Because like, it has, yep. I mean, it has to go that way. They have to inflict yeah. some sort of. Well, yeah, because I mean, so the light that ends up showing up is like in the shape of a great serpent. Which I mean, we could we could guess as to what that might be, but uh, I believe that it makes a point to saying that the the light basically can shoot out at stuff and. They, they can shoot the the uh, silver tower and the silver tower sort of shoots chaos magic back at them and so I mean this is this is about as close to 40k as you get in AOS <laughs> uh, you got spaceships shooting each other with laser beams so you know there you go but uh, yeah they I think uh, very quickly realized that maybe going between the realms was not the right place to go with the silver tower and uh, needs to zip out of there once again mm-hmm. well does it zip or does it get does it crash like because don't they put a oh, yeah it does crash doesn't it mm-hmm. yeah they put they put a beam right through it yeah it careens um, madly yep yeah, goes in, <laughs> up into smoke and when you're in the space between realms when you fall who knows where you're gonna land and it careens down into uh chaman like off to the off to the you know off center of the spiral crux uh it lands in a 
the rusted waste. The rusted waste. Like yep. I, I, I typically am loath to use uh, movie references when we're talking about Age of Sigmar lore, but this is straight up like Armageddon but deep Bro- impact. But references are fine though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course, because that's <laughs> high art. Right, this is just movies, uh, but like literally, it comes screaming in, trailing like this this massive plume of steam, just cutting through mountains, cutting through the realm before it just like screeches to a halt in the rusted waste and just makes a massive dent into the realm of metal. Like <laughs> this is this is a heavy, massive thing that has just crashed down to the realm sphere so it is it's a major event yeah. uh, eater of eater of or i forget his name secrets eater of tomes tomes secrets eater of Tom, tomes. Eater of tomes. uh pops out dusts himself off and says any landing you can walk away from is a good landing uh and he looks back <laughs> at the destruction that he's wrought and he says oh it's gonna take me forever to fix all mm-hmm. this Ugh. yeah uh which is how i would feel yeah. at the exact same time yeah. and then and then when you know it that then the then the thunder starts. Like, oh great, there's gonna be a storm. That's the last thing I need at this point with my crash yeah. tower. Wait a second. It's not a storm. It's the thundering footprints of a thunder lizard. What's the thing called from Seraphon? The th- I think you got it. Thunder lizard, isn't it? A thunder lizard, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, doubt yourself. He's 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 then attacked by Oh, um, the host? The, the, the thunder lizard? The, the thunder lizard host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um well, because Croak knew not only was he going to attack the tower, and then not only was the tower going to blast out into the void, and then not only was it going to blast out into the void and then get fr- confronted with the armada, and then not only was he going to blast away one ziggurat and then try to escape through that hole, and then not only was he going to get shot down and then crash back into the realm of metal, and not only was he going to go through and careen through mountaintops, he was literally going to end up right here. And and Cloak was like, all right, dude, coalesced Thunder Lizard host, you're going to stand right here and just wait. You'll know when I need you. There'll be a screaming metal pylon <laughs> carving through the realm that's going to show up right in this valley in about a thousand years. So just be prepared. It's going to happen. And well, he's so had a convenient. job this whole time. Yeah, the <laughs> been protecting all sorts of like ancient artifacts and stuff. So, like, it's not they, that they're they twiddling their thumbs and then just conveniently at their doorstep. I think they had to maybe go through some portal or something or like a realm gate. But like, at the equivalent of their doorstep, a giant solar tower rolls up, and uh, hey, that's your cue. If you're wondering what your I mean, cue was, it's that. <laughs> it, it literally and, is their doorstep. The the thunder lizards do live in Shimon. Oh, nice. Perfect. 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 So, like, they were just there. So, they're like, all right, yeah. cool. Lands right in our backyard. No big deal. They come, they come <laughs> thundering in, like I said, in relaunching their attack on this downed uh, silver tower, which, for whatever reason, still has plenty of defenses to, like, hold off for a little bit. Um, but then, lo and behold, uh, the Bastilladons, yet again, with their, I think, their gems, don't they light the thing up a, like, yeah. a second time? And in doing so, uh, not to be anticlimactic, but uh, explode the darn thing. They sure do. They explode the darn thing. So they, I mean, I guess the, the only thing that I would elaborate here is that like they do sort of, uh, give some details of like the construction of a crystal or a silver tower, which is kind of cool. Um, and talk about how it has these like magical nodes that power it. 
And that's what they focus their uh, beams on. And in doing so, it sets off a chain reaction inside the darn thing. And uh, I guess because it's connected to so much magic and chaos realms and stuff that if you set off a chain reaction inside a silver tower, it, it goes off like a couple thousand nukes. Yeah, it's it's yeah, a because... massive, massive <laughs> you explosion. See, you can't see how big a smile uh, Phil has right now. I don't know how you're delighted by this, but uh... I mean, I don't know. Seraphon winning over chaos is always fun, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. You're right. But I think as as you were uh, as we were mentioning, uh, I mean, the destruction of a crashing silver tower is bad. The destruction of an exploding silver tower is uh, quite a bit worse. And I believe they make mention that like there is now like an a thousand mile crater or something around mm-hmm. where the silver tower was. The rusted wastes are just gone. There's nothing yep. left. Uh, and everyone who was looking that direction at the time is just temporarily blinded because, you know, giant explosions. Don't look at them. Mm-hmm. Cool guys cool, don't cool. explosions. Right. Cool guys don't <laughs> well, explosions. and the thing is, right, it's not even like this is a normal planet or something where it's like, oh, yeah, of course, because we have so much energy. It just kind of like dissipated. It's like, no, we've got like, you know, forged metal and diamond and like who knows what else, like amazing, incredibly tough substance that is just vaporized in an instant. Like it is so hot that it just incinerates metal, like turns it immediately to steam and it's gone. Yep. Do you, do you know what also it incinerates? It incinerates, incinerates lizard people. Yeah, uh, it does. Known as Seraphon. Everybody They're who's there were, were basically co- were coalesced and they get they get wiped out. Except, is this also where Croak thinks up the general who was leading this thunder leader, lizard mm-hmm. charge? And it lo and behold, he uh, shimmers back into existence. And I guess if, if he was coalesced before, he's now whatever the, the star version of uh, yeah, I was wondering that, if he's now starborn. Yeah. yeah, is that the implication? Like, I mean, he should be. The weird thing is that, like the the war scroll that they released in the box that came with this uh, set that they released for these guys, it's very explicit that it, it has to be part of Thunder Lizard, which is coalesced. So it's sort of like you can't take the guy after he's been revived, I guess. So, <laughs> oh, either that or it doesn't really matter. But it doesn't matter. But yeah. Yeah. You know, or maybe Croak sent him back and is like, now you just need to chill for a couple hundred years so you can re-coalesce. <laughs> He's like, I, I, I was doing a pretty <laughs> good job before I can, I can, I can. Um, and then I guess one other consideration or perspective on this is, uh, this, obviously this was wit- this event was witnessed at a distance all across the realm. I'm seeing this big explosion, but noteworthy where the, uh, a number of Barak Zilfin, um, Karajan overlords. And so they mm-hmm. uh, sort of, I guess they, they witnessed this, at, you know, many, many miles away uh, from it occurring. And uh, as like any good entrepreneur recognizes where there's calamity, there's opportunity. Um, and they decide, you know, we're, we're in one of the fastest ships that we've, that, you know, that we've got. Zilfin's even one of the fastest barracks even. Um, let's go check it out <laughs> and see what there's <laughs> money to be made. Um, well, and part of the reason why they're thinking about checking it out is because there is an Arcanaut uh, that we are introduced to, which is uh, a very fascinating introduction because 
he walks up and starts talking to an admiral. And the admiral, number one, listens to him. And then number two, there's a little discussion of like, oh, yeah, Grumpy, I know you. Right? Like, I, I can't remember where you signed on or, or really why I'm listening to you. But like, you're a cool dude. This is interesting. So we get a white-haired but tattoo-covered Dwarden Arcanaut. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Nothing weird about that. Nothing weird about that. Yeah. It happens all the time. They, they always mention how he looks older than dirt. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Not literally, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Grumpy's like, hey, maybe maybe we should go check out what's going on over there. Like that might, that might be interesting. Let's let's figure that out. Don't need to tell me twice. <laughs> Rock it off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> check it out. And I unless there's any other things you guys want to talk about in Act One, I think that that might be it. That was me closing the book like this of Act One, and then I'll open Act, and then now I'm opening Act Two. Okay, I think we can probably hop in. Um, to the second act, same as the first. Uh, do you guys remember <laughs> Bellacore? Like he's a big dude, chain wings. He likes to point at stuff a lot. Mm. You know, kind of rings a bell. Because apparently a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about over the past couple months has surprisingly actually been uh, because of his machinations, as we alluded to before. <laughs> M-O-C-K or M-A-C-H-I-N? Is he a very machination? I guess I guess he could be. Like he's not he's not nice. I'm sure he's a bully. Um, like, <laughs> I bet he'd be an internet troll in real life. Um, he's a mock uh, ever chosen. I tell you what. Sure. Well, uh, so <laughs> like we should probably talk about that. Actually, uh, Bellacore was the original ever chosen. Uh, he is there a demon prince, OG. and in the old world, he is the OG old world. Best of the best, most honored mortal slash immortal follower of chaos. But there was, unfortunately, uh, Archaon showed up, and Archaon went on a quest and grabbed all of the items that were prophesied to make him the ever chosen. And Bellacore never went away. But Archaon ascended to become the ever chosen and has stayed that till this day. So Bellacore is like the redheaded stepchild, but he was the firstborn, but he is now <laughs> the second in command. Uh, so he is a demon prince who still has a massive amount of power and a massive amount of influence, as we'll see going forward. But he is not officially recognized as, per se, the the general of generals, the leader of the hosts of the chaos. That is not who Bellacor is. Uh, but he has never forgotten that that was what he was intended to be. And so this is the character that we're going to start talking about moving forward. He is a being who has smoldered for time immaterial from one exploded world into eight unknown realms with a hatred of Archaon and at the same time a hatred of order, destruction, and death. Basically a hatred of most people and things. He yeah. probably hates the Chaos Gods, honestly. I mean, I understand he wants their, like, 
uh, favor, but like, I don't know, he feels, feels snubbed. I bet there's some level of animosity even towards them. He's just a hateful dude, guys. It's not good. It's not good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy. Definitely. Uh, you'd think that someone with so many grudges that he'd get along better with. <laughs> and then I'm a holding grudge against that. Um, so this is this this is the this is the sort of individual that we're dealing with here. Uh, but it turns out the events of other broken realm stories, and then also uh, what Sarah, the Seraphon just did with the the Silver Tower, are playing right into his hand because he's got big dreams. He's got a big aspirations to again catch the chaos guide's attention and uh regain their favor by doing something crazy by doing something that even uh Archaon couldn't do uh and that is uh, what the rest of the book uh, the adventure that the rest of the book takes us on so it starts off by saying that he orchestrated croak destroying the silver tower and the reason why he orchestrated destroying the silver tower was because it destabilized a whole swath of realm gates in Shamon. Uh, and Croak considered this an acceptable side effect of being able to dispose of one of the nine silver towers. But Bellacor basically in, in this book is saying, no, I, I did this on purpose because now we've got a bunch of destabilized realm gates and this is going to be super sweet. And then he also adds a little like, oh, in BT dubs, I also let Von Brecht out because I want Sigmar to know that Marathi betrayed him. Because who doesn't want everybody fighting against everybody else? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if your enemies are fighting, they're not fighting each other. They ain't fighting you. Yeah. And I think uh, even even like worse than the, just that it messed up Realm Gates, uh, I think they elaborate here that the realm gates are connected to the astral matrix and the astral matrix is what holds the realms together. It's like the stitches between the realms and it actually keeps the magical held together. And so breaking those connections is actually almost worse than breaking realm gates because it actually starts to tear the fabric of reality apart, which we'll talk about that more later. It almost seems like there's this great magical spider web that holds everything together and everybody who tries Man. to repair it are basically like these spiders that go around and repair everything. I mean, it's all about spiders. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It's all about spiders. It's spiders it's the all the geomantic way web. Huh? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Webs. Spiders. Yep. Obviously. Um, so so uh, we were we were talking about his, having his his enemies um, fight each other, but he's got he's got a lot of enemies. Like we said, if you got that many grudges, uh, you haven't made a lot of friends in the world. And I think the last time we saw uh, Bellacor was during the Wrath of the Everchosen. He made an appearance right underneath mm. Arcan, which I'm sure he hated every second of. Oh my god! But, but when <laughs> so doing bad. so, he he did something noteworthy in that when they were fighting the, the uh, combined forces of Night Haunt and Bone Reapers, he was able to take out Lady Olinder. Like he was. Able because his sword's all magic, and so he's able to pierce her spectral yeah. form and banish her off into nowhere. I think we had mentioned that um, earlier. Not nowhere. He banished her off to a very specific place, which is to say her home kingdom, which is an under, her own underworld in the realm of Shayish. Um, and Bellicor, realizing that there's a lot of players out there that can mess with his big plans, uh, he's turning some of them against each other, or he's you know avoiding them in this way or that. He's worried that uh, Olinder might get in the way of some of his plans here and it, he needs to be a little proactive and maybe ensuring that she doesn't meddle in what he's working on so he brings the fight to her 
what it initially seems as if she's maybe trying to take her out, like remove her from the game. Um, and so we're treated with uh, an invasion of her uh, kingdom called Dolorum, I believe, which is because she's That's sad, correct. right? She, she's mm-hmm. yeah. grief. So she's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and so it's it's this fight of his demons sort of sieging her her town her place uh, uh, with the the night hunt all sort of rushing to her defense and it's not necessarily the most defensible position because you're it's a ton of ghosts right like they don't need walls and stuff like that's not their uh, their fortifications but rather it's just the their forte fortifications yeah no <laughs> you got me um, it's. Uh, it their defense is just to bum people out, right? Like that's that's how they keep people out of there. Just they just make them really uh, morose. This is this is a new thing and a cool thing about Bellacore. So I'm going to tie it into a question that we had uh, from the Discord from Elf Kenny, and he says, "How does Bellacore go about dominating demons for his army?" And the way that he dominates lesser demons is that he literally brands them. And then they become his service. But then we also have a couple of greater demons that are also in his service. And those, he goes and finds out their true name. And then by using their true name, he can dominate them and make them a part of his mm. army. Uh, and that's from the White Dwarf story. Uh, you should go read it because it's super cool. That's fun. Um, but the intriguing part about that is that when he brands them, he actually makes them his. They're no longer, they are aspects of corn, but they no longer have the emotion per se of corn or the emotion of slanesh. And the reason that I say that is because Bellicor allows slanesh to fight alongside corn and allows Zinch to fight alongside Nurgle or Zinch along corn. It doesn't matter. He is in so absolute control over these demons that they cannot fight. And this is really specifically explored in the White's Worst story, where he can literally stop a bloodthirster from attacking a Lord of Change if he so chooses. And the reason why this is important is because Bellacor is the master of chaos undivided. Now, Previously, Chaos Undivided just meant I'm not going to give a mark to any units in my army or I'm going to be able to take all the marks. But the way that it is expressed in this battle tome is that I am actually able to stop Chaos from fighting Chaos. I literally am able to heal the divisions between the gods. And the army that he has he has so complete a control that he can send them forward. And so when he goes into Delorum, you would think that the misery would actually stop, for example, Slanesh from being ecstatic, would stop, for example, Zinch from scheming. But because they are branded with this, this brand of Bellacor, they do suffer some casualties, but the vast majority are just like, well, but this is what Bellacor told me to do. So I'm going to go do it. And so I don't think that a normal chaos host of, say, Korn or Zinch would have actually been able to do this action. I think this is something that specifically that Bellacor and his army of 
absolute control is able to do because he now has such complete uh, control over his army. So I thought that was well played uh, and and well explained in this specific part of the book. And I mean, I guess to build on that, it it's it helps in that like the other chaos forces probably wouldn't even attempt something like this because the whole drive of this campaign isn't like to glorify the gods. There's like a longer term plan, mm-hmm. um, and that's not something we usually see from chaos demons. So it's, it's definitely a fun extra thing. Uh, one thing that I feel like I remember, but maybe I'm crazy. So I just want to double check. Does Bellacor mention for one of the reasons he's coming here is because did Olander curse him? Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Yeah. <laughs> page, 30, page 33. Yeah. Because he killed her in the eight points. Right. Right. And when was, she and is then, killed, she has a curse. Ah, yep. And so I know Aaron, you'd mentioned that like he was worried about her, but I, I had remembered that he was specifically worried about her curse being on him and being in the way. And he wanted to be able to find a way to make sure that that wasn't going to cause him any trouble beyond the fact of night haunt, just gumming up the works and getting in the way of they're always, whatever they're always gumming up do. the works. You guys, they are, they're <laughs> everywhere now. I mean, like, you turn around and there's another ghost. <laughs> <laughs> don't turn around. That's my trick. Just oh, don't do it. Don't turn around. Uh-oh. That's a book. Sorry. But I suppose yeah. we should probably finish talking about his his uh, campaign into Delorum. Uh, <laughs> so I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, he his plan is not just to attack Delorum, but to specifically go after the sanctum of anguish Mm -hmm. is that correct correct and uh (laughs) it does sound bad doesn't it um and so this is specifically we find out where olander's remains lie uh and so i guess i wasn't really aware that she was like tethered to the realm in some way because of her bones but i guess she is because Mm -hmm. as he gets into her like inner sanctum she kind of I don't know where she is at that moment exactly somewhere mm-hmm. else in Delorum, but she's like, Oh crap. Uh, <laughs> this, yeah. this could be bad. Um, and zips back over there to be like, I need to stop him from killing me because she could actually die, which is sort of weird to think about for somebody who's already dead. That which is dead cannot die. So this ties into, <laughs> To two things, I think, in the lore. Number one is a, a Josh Reynolds thing, where Josh Reynolds has really put forth this idea in Nagash the Undying King that the Mortarks are basically horcruxes of Nagash's soul, to borrow a term from Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. Okay. He imparts a part of his soul into them, which gives them the power to be a Mortark. Right? But right. we also need to take another um, important part here which is that Olinder is Olinder because of who it is that she was she was cursed by Nagash to be the person who spread sorrow because she spread sorrow in her mortal life by killing all of her husbands so that she could gain complete control over this kingdom Dolorum right and Mm -hmm. 
Just like the Tomb Kings in the Old World, where they were the same souls that were resurrected in the same body that raised from the dead and had this undying kingdom, the same thing is true for most of the characters in Age of Sigmar. To my understanding, they tend to raise the soul into the body that it was. But when the soul is released from the body, it becomes something completely different and completely unique. So when Sigmar takes a soul for a Stormcast, he has to put some of himself in it to make it a Stormcast. He has to bind it to a realm. And so Olinder's bones bind her to the realm of Shayish, but also allow her to be who she is. And if her bones are destroyed, she is no longer someone from Shayish. She is now just a spirit unbound from the realms is my understanding. Um, and perhaps this is me being crazy, but this is the understanding I have gained from reading all the lore is that who you are is actually a very important point. Um, and the night haunt specifically are cursed by who they were in their mortal life. But if you were for say a death rattle, you could raise any spirit into a body or you could raise a body without a soul and that's totally fine. They would work for you. You don't need to combine those two together. But the Night Haunt in particular are cursed by the by the acts that they performed in life. And so if her body was destroyed, then she would no longer have an anchor to become who she was. Aaron, you seem like you, you have a point to make. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say Lady Olinder actually uh, is someone who doesn't want her bones stabbed by Bellicor's big old sword as he swings it down from up above and hovers it an inch from her bones and yeah. basically says, ah, let's chat. Let's talk. <laughs> uh, I beat you once. I can beat you again. Um, but I got an offer for you. I got a plan. We got let's negotiate here a little bit. And so they talk through the idea, the idea that like, look, I got this curse on me. I'm not a big fan of that. If you could go ahead and turn that off, that'd be great because I got I got big dreams. I got big plans, and you can you can come along with me to ride this rocket to the moon, sweetie. Yeah. Um, that's not he wouldn't. Well, maybe he would. I wouldn't talk like that. This is Bellacor talking, of course. Um, and he says. <laughs> Uh, and he basically it spells a little bit of his plan out. He he entices her with the idea that he's going to be able to fiddle with the souls of Stormcast and perhaps make it so that they uh, are a little bit more available as a resource to those who maybe deal in souls. And if she can um, sort of coordinate with him a little bit, uh, there's something in it for both of them. They can put, put their differences aside just for a moment while they enact this grand plan. And then once they're successful, because of course they're going to be successful, uh, they can get back to their feud and, you know, get, you know, destroy each other. And who cares? Like, well, we'll, we'll sort that out later. Yeah. Um, she's not really in a great position to negotiate. She reveals that like, he's got a, uh, an hourglass above his head and it's got sand trickling down and apparently something terrible is going to happen when it lands because mm -hmm. all hourglasses are evil. You can quote me on that. That's her hourglass. <laughs> Isn't it over but, him? But I, well, she summons it basically to say, okay, deal. You have until yeah. this time to enact this plan. If you don't, then deals off. This is a night haunt endless spell too, if I'm not mistaken. There literally is a, a glass. Yeah, they use hourglasses so, uh, all over the place. Correct. Yeah. I think she broke. I think she broke an hourglass to kill the Selsen Prime too. 
like back in um okay no i don't remember if this is actually true she she broke something (laughs) to kill the celestin prime um i don't i don't know if it was an hourglass or not but they do reach an understanding though admittedly Mm -hmm. bellacor like from a negotiation standpoint kind of has the upper hand on account of the fact that the sore is right over her, her body. Um, sort of Damocles here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, she agrees because how else are you going to get the night haunt involved in this story? I mean, she, for plot reasons, she needs to agree, uh, to, yeah. uh, uh, work along with him and a sweet unholy mm. alliance has been formed. Yeah. People making friends. I love it. Yeah. This is the point where, I don't know if Nagash is still around because would Lady Olinder have made this deal with Bellacor and not been smoten from existence in an instant? Well, if she thinks that she can get Stormcast souls for Nagash, I feel like she would want to take that deal and be like, hey, Nagash, look how awesome I am. Mm -hmm. Look what I got for you. Some juicy Stormcast souls, the best kind of souls, the only kind of souls that you can't get your mitts on. Yeah. <laughs> Bony yeah. mitts. Yeah. And I want to say that, like, <laughs> I, th- I think they were for, yeah, I think they're for, like, Nagash. Like, that's what, sh- that was the goal. Like, she's still working as an agent for Nagash, regardless of whether he, he's around or not right now. I still think that she acknowledges that, like, this, this is for Nagash. Um, but fortunately for her, it doesn't sound like, her job's all that hard. Um, as we, I think this, this then cuts to them enacting this plan. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, really yeah. all she needs to do is provide sort of, um, I'll say cover for what Bellacor's, you know, plot actually is. And what he's doing is he's, uh, making inroads in Shaman, not necessarily mm-hmm. leading a large invasion force per se, but rather they are fighting strategic battles all across the realm. Um, with the expressed goal, not expressed goal, they're not expressing it, it's a secret. That's the opposite of expressed goal, um, <laughs> of destabilizing and corrupting and like destroying um, a number of like very important realm gates that are all part of that realm system, that realm web, the system of interconnected realm gates that had been disrupted by the explosion uh, in the Silver Tower, to sum it up, right? And so while he's doing that, and we'll get in, there, there's some interesting tidbits into that. Olinda's job is to just send her ghosts every which way, all over the place, to sort of serve as distractions throughout Shaman to buy him time. So uh, so every army that's fighting an invasion force in Night Hunt aren't defending the realm gates uh, from Bellacor's uh, demons, which I guess makes sense. That adds up. Yeah, and I think it's 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 almost like. Not even so much as it's just a distraction, but also just because I think these realm gates are not, they're not like main realm gates. He's not hitting the ones that are in uh, a lot of like populated areas first. A lot of these areas are sort of outliers and like, it seems random. Like if you were to not be able to focus on what was happening with the demon attacks, it would be like, well, that's kind of random. And so... Olander's forces are all attacking populated areas and making it seem like the Night Haunt are specifically trying to make inroads against the uh, Sigmarite uh, settlements, which obviously that's going to seem like the bigger deal because you don't want all your followers and your people getting spooked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, 
they even say that they they're seeing numbers of night haunt unseen since the advent of like the necroquake. Like it seems as if like a ne- another necroquake must have happened. There's so many night haunt yeah. here, mm-hmm. um, so you can get a sense of like it almost as if the book didn't do a great job describing that. It really they just said, oh, there's that many <laughs> night haunt. Um, so like it's just like one or two lines that they say that you. Don't, I, I never really got a sense that that was. Go, that's what was going on honestly because you're kind of following the bellicor side and less the ghost side but like that mm-hmm. must have been you know harrowing to like go through that a second time sort of uh centrally localized in in shaman um mm-hmm. so I, I suppose they did their job well yeah just like uh teclas was going into shayish and spreading hope now lady olinda is going into realm of metal and spreading despair and sorrow uh, so that's kind of a nice counter uh, from the last book to this one. Nice. Um, Define nice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Bellacor is sneakily going in and dismantling all these different realm gates. It kind of goes in one by one and just destabilizes them, uh, takes them out, and really just starts making a mess of the rested wastes from one end to the other. And as, as he's doing so, it's first of all, it's he, it's... There's a variety in how he's doing it, right? Because he has all these disparate demon forces underneath him. So one of them is getting corrupted by a Lord of Change, and then another one is uh, getting taken over by, you know, Nurgle sorcerers. And so every every which one is a little different, and that also lends itself to the sort of the randomness of what's going on, because it never really seems that like any one unifying force is doing all this. Um, And it's worth noting that they're not just taking order realm gates, right? They're taking out already controlled chaos realm gates that those gates that the demons are using to, to enter the realms from the realm of chaos and so literally their their home bases uh you know demons fighting demons and you know they, they were talking about how like the corn demons were literally dicing up other corn um you know blood letters and things that were defending this realm gate uh ambushing them and then corrupting the realm gate and destroying it um such uh, that there, there's no rhyme. It seemed as if there was no rhyme or reason as to what what they were what they were doing here. We need a we need to revisit our our dwarven friends because, as you mentioned, as the uh, as these as these seemingly random attacks are happening, uh, we still have still have the ships flying around, uh, and specifically, Endrin Master Humboldtson, who is the one who had gone off to the rested wastes after the explosion to go check all of that out. And as they're surveying the destruction in command, they start to realize that something doesn't feel right about all the attacks that have been happening. And they decide that this should be investigated further. And so we get a call back to and I'm not going to be able to remember her first name, but Imolda. Bear's daughter? Imolda. Imolda Bear's daughter. So important character. She's now shown up in two Bo- Broken Realms stories and is playing a pivotal role in both of them. So her cartography skills come to bear again. And uh, she has mapped out like all of this stuff that's happening throughout the realm. And I, I guess they don't really talk about this. I'm not quite sure how the uh, airships are able to pass so freely through this realm that's being attacked by Nighthaunt and uh, Chaos, but evidently they are. Two, um, two very aerial armies, right? Like two things that you yeah. can think be able to take out airships pretty, not easily, but like 
And maybe it's just because it's like one random ship every so often. They just don't pay attention. I don't know. But either way. Yeah. The, the, the demons in the night hunt are targeting Rome gates, right? They're not actually involved in doing a running battle. They're far more doing surgical strikes. So. Yeah. Hit and run sort of stuff. So, I mean, they may not be in numbers yet to be able to even catch a ship as it flies by. But she, she, so they sort of get together, they talk about what's going on and decide that they should alert the Geldrad, which uh, I take it is the like leading council of all the mm-hmm. different skyports. Um, I'm not up on my, all of my Caradron lore, but uh, well, I'm... Well, you could uh, listen to uh, the Mortal Realms uh, story phase where we talked about the Caradron overlords. And, uh, and I definitely <laughs> should. And, and you, listener, you should as well if you haven't. Uh, oh, oh don't worry, Phil. All our listeners already have. So. I'm sure they have. <laughs> uh, but so they, they then head off to take care of that. Uh, but on their way... Lo and behold, they see some uh, fire slayers getting attacked. So basically, they were going through a pass that they knew to be a place that had a realm gate, and they saw a massive ball of fire. They're like, well, that's probably not good. (laughs) Uh, So they went to what's called Golgrimstock to just check out what's going on because I, I believe they had some kind of an agreement or, you know, uh, shipping rights uh, to the area and it turns out that they are being just absolutely slaughtered uh, the fire slayers are and so they oh, lay that's right. they lay down their little flying ladder and they manage to rescue about a dozen maybe two dozen fire slayers and basically every single fire slayer as they get on board the ship and they retreat away they've lost their hold so they all just take oaths then and there to take revenge upon those who have destroyed it. So um, yeah, the Berezek doom, correct? And the the horrors they were they were attacked by Zinch, uh, who destabilized yet another realm gate, yet another uh, node in the astral matrix. So yeah, and now I remember this, and I specifically remember this because I remember how crazy it was. There's like this little story excerpt where they're talking to them about what happened after they get on the ship and recounting the tale of what happened to Golgrimstock. But they make a point of pointing out how he couldn't even imagine how this fire slayer was still able to tell this story because his flesh had been melted off of his bones and like his the bones in his face are exposed while he's telling this story. And it's just like, how crazy are fire slayers? Like so that they crazy. can, <laughs> they can actually put up with that kind of punishment and just be like, yeah, whatever. I'll just shrug that off, rub some dirt in it. How do we know his face wasn't already melted before Zinch showed up? Like it's just, he was just you never know. to begin with. Yeah, maybe could be. That's just how they do it. But either way, I think this is the second time we hear from Gromthy. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I don't remember what he talks about at this point. I think I think he's basically it, just saying that like that they need to they need to help out. And I think he's serving as like, yeah, I think he's serving as like a conscious conscience a mm-hmm. little bit. Like he's the angel on the shoulder saying, you know, oh, we should really bring this back to the group and we should probably, you know, rally the troops and 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 help the the, yeah. the humies. Uh, gotta work together. Yeah, we gotta work together. So all in all, he's he's just being a pretty chill dude. Um this Gromthy's pretty cool. I wonder what his deal is. 
Yeah. Like he's got a story. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. Um, so with that Dwarden interlude, can we go hang out at the, uh, the, oh no, we got to do the trouble in heaven now too. Yeah, we're going to do the Genesis gate, man. We got, we got so much before the gate of white gold, man. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta just hold your horses. We gotta... Well, you know what? I'm bowing out until we get to the gate of white gold. All right. All right. <laughs> wow. Well, well. You're ready here, folks. Yeah. He's, he's he's gone. He's abandoned <laughs> us. Um, That's me walking away. Just like Rookie. He's got a lot of good ideas. Yeah. But, but yeah, so we wrap up with the Kradrin. They're heading off to talk to the Geldrad. We now zipping back to talk to our man Gardas because he kind of got splatted. Uh, uh, yeah. The greater demon of Nurgle, right? Uh-huh. Just got him good. Oh, guys, I came back real quick. Uh, it's nuts because he gets splatted by a greater demon Nurgle, but like in one story, he took like nine of them out at once or something like in mm-hmm. one of, in one of the previous books and like only one was able to take him out this time. Well, that's, that's BS. To be fair, he'd been <laughs> holding that gate for quite a while. Uh, we don't like, even know how many like demons he'd been fighting them. before so, then. There was like nine of them. All right, now I'm out of here. So, so he's, he's mad. Uh, He's like, those Seraphon guys, right? What the actual heck? What is real? <laughs> what the actual hex? What? There you go. I thought uh, you walked out. You came back in again. Man. <laughs> Surprise, guys. I was here the whole time. Oh, man. Just, you can't get just like Bellacore. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so those Seraphon guys, what the heck? Uh, so it so Gardas is back in Azir, right? I think he's back in Azir. I hope he's back in Azir because that's what I remember. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so he decides that he's going to go and figure out what happened. So he goes to the top of Mount Celestian where there is a shrine to Dr- Dracothian and decides that he's going to pray for a vision and he's not leaving until he gets some answers. He explicitly says that he's not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, he does. I mean, this is, he's just like, no, I, I need answers. I'm not going anywhere. So he hangs out up there for a while. And I believe he, I don't know if he's just like given a vision of Dracothian or if Dracothian actually comes down and is like, all right. And like guides his spirit up into the stars. And then he is greeted by a figure uh, behind a blinding light sitting atop a stone throne with a golden mask. And at that point, you're like, they didn't say it, but that's definitely Croak. Um, <laughs> so he's asking questions of like, what's going on? Why Why is this happening? And he's given these visions uh, to sort of explain what's going to happen. And like, hey, don't worry about that stuff. You got bigger fish to fry. So he first gets a vision of Excelsius, and it's bad. Um, it's the walls it's are going broken. badly. Yeah, <laughs> the walls are broken. It's overrun with destruction forces, Greenskins and Gargants, and he he's like, "Whoa, we've got to do something about this." And the being basically is like, "No, no, I need you to do something else," and gives him another vision which shows Vindicarum being attacked. Um, 
And at that point, he realizes that that's where the hollowed knights are needed and that he needs to take all the hollowed knights that he can to go and help bolster the defenses of Vindicarum. Uh, because stuff's about to go down. This vision is uh, illuminating and that it's not even just those two cities. He sees like one or two other things. Like there's coiling, uh, winged coiling mists. So he gives a hint that there's some, there's some shadowy uh, involvement yeah. on this. There's some um, foreshadowing, right? Yeah, uh, there you go. Uh-huh. Ah. <laughs> uh, and then um, there's also some, there's a perf- geometrically perfect city out in a crystalline, crystalline, like desert or something. And I, I'm still not hundred percent sure what that's about. Like that's not I, yeah. clear to me. I don't um, either. So there's, there's other, like other aspects of, of this vision, but it, it's clear. I mean, we already knew, and especially now we know a lot more of it because we saw the, um, the Warhammer Fest previews today. So we really have a much better view that like a lot of this broken realm stuff is going to kill me, like culminate in like an attack on Excelsis. So we kind of had a feeling that that was coming up. Um, but Vindicarm is more important, at least as far as Croak is concerned, and they're going to uh, ship off and come to its aid and defenses there. And I, I don't know that it's that Vindicarm is more important, but it's where Gardas needs to be. Good distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just- and, and so he's like, no, Pawn, you need to go there, and you need to bring your guys to handle that problem for me because that's what needs to happen for my plan to work. Now, of course, he doesn't say any of that because he doesn't actually say anything, but... I was just going to say, we're, we're editorializing a little bit. I think, <laughs> I think what Dead. he actually says is no. <laughs> he doesn't even say no. He just, like, there is a forceful energy that just informs Gardas that it means no. Oh, yeah, you're right. Is that a quote? He just feels no. Yeah, he feels the presence of no. Sure. And then yeah. Gardas... Gardas uh, whispers only the faithful. Oh, only the faithful. As yeah. you do. As you do, because, you know, only the faithful. But yeah, so, I mean, so we sort of get this interlude, I guess. It kind of breaks up some of the rest of what's going on in Come On. Uh, but then we're like, okay, so we know the Hollowed Knights are heading to Vindicarum, but other than that, let's let's get back to the main the main stuff. And now, Aaron, if you will... The gate of white gold and i will so there's this gate of white gold right <laughs> uh, no so it's it's a, a realm gate that uh connects to vindicarum out to like the frontier a little bit and it's and it's a, a way for them to bring in resources because vindicarum's like up at the top of a like a caldera of like a volcano or something mm-hmm. and so uh this is one way to transport things so it's, it's important for the survival of the town because it, they bring in a lot, a lot of import exports go through this gate um but it turns out this is one of the last gates that bellicor needs to corrupt or take out because it's presumably also part of this interconnected matrix of all these realm gates that he's been um, attacking. Uh, but because it's sort of a, def- a strategic defensive location, it's a little bit maybe a slightly tougher nut to crack uh, for him. But uh, crack it, he shall try. And so he sends his forces uh, at it. He's got a he's got three generals, uh, Karzakos, Gebelax, and Fatanix. Thanks for whoever wrote those down in here. Um, I got you. And he's throwing them. He's throwing them at the the free guild that is um, sort of d- defending this place. Obviously, the humans are are fairly outmatched, but they're doing what they can, and they're trying. They're holding out for as long as they can to defend this location. Um, things look dire. They're on the back foot, but who should roll up? But 
a storm host um, sort of lightnings down to come and save the you know save the day. And it is the the purple and white I want to say of yep. the Sigmarite Brotherhood. Um, and this is not in any technical sense, but one of them I don't know minor storm hosts, but they. Uh, are in the region and are and are here to protect this gate because it has sort of the significant you know the significant importance to uh, the city and they with the help of the um, stormcast the defenses are much more robust and they seem to be holding off the demons and it, and it seems as maybe this isn't going to be something that uh, Bellacor can overcome uh, fortunately but no unfortunately Belicor has a trick up his sleeve i think we maybe had been introduced to this plot point earlier but it's fun to bring it up now instead in that um he knew that uh things might be difficult uh, on, uh assaulting this realm gate and so he planned for it because apparently he's a real big planner i don't know if we have i don't know if we stress that enough <laughs> uh, in this episode uh but he at great cost made a deal, made an agreement, made uh, a business arrangement with um, some Skaven of Clan Eshin. And uh, he sent them on a little secret uh, sabotage mission. Um, and the camera changes scenes. Sabotage! Yeah, that's another bucket. I'm too much richer. Uh, switches scenes to the infiltration of the Skaven into yet another Silver Tower. I hope you guys weren't uh, done with silver towers. I hope you weren't tired of the silver towers because we're back. We're back in them. Um, the goal here, at least as far as Belcor is concerned, is not to destroy another one. That's excessive. Like he's on the side of chaos. Like he doesn't want to see all the, the silver towers taken out. But maybe uh, he wouldn't mind if a, if, a, if a grenade or like a bomb blew up inside of one, as long as the whole thing doesn't come, come crumbling down. Like huh. he can, he, we can afford a slight explosion, a little explosion inside, yeah, uh, which is just, what this cave and do. Just a small bomb. Just a you know. just a tiny small <laughs> a smidge of warp slightly. That, just that can yet again destabilize a wide range of already deep destabilized um, realm gates. Um, it blows up this this silver tower, also connected to a lot of different realm gates, and um, they're already weakened. They're already uh, you know cracked and trembling, and this bomb uh, explodes and really pushes all of all of them over the edge and triggers off a wide. Um, chain reaction across all of these different realm gates. You guys can't see my hands, but I'm waving wildly. Um, the gesticulation and, is intense. Yeah, in, in doing so, kicks off a a wave of sort of chaotic energy that blankets the sky, both here and across the realm, basically, in different sort of different pockets that are sort of coalescing um, in the skies of Chaman. This is where the attack on uh, the gate of white gold. Couldn't remember, but then I read it. Um, uh, the the tide turns against the forces of order yet again, um, because now as the demons start taking out, you know, Stormcast one by one, the lightning rockets up to the sky, but it does not pierce it. It gets caught in the sort of blanket of chaotic energy up above, and it doesn't go anywhere. It's just sort of sitting there waiting to be harvested, perhaps. Uh, and as the Stormcast start dropping one by one by one by one. Um, they aren't being reforged, and that really turns like emotionally starts turning the battle as well. And the Stormcast realize what's going on. Like, oh no, my buddy just isn't going home. He's just right there. I can see him. Um, and uh, the demons are able to overwhelm the defensive forces here, both Free Guild and Stormcast, and eventually wipe them out. Not to not to fast forward some excited fight, exciting fights, but uh, they yeah. drop them. 
I mean, the, the Sigmari Brotherhood, it sounds like, and maybe it's not like every last one, but it certainly sounds like the, the storm host of Sigmari Brotherhood is no more. They are dead and they were not able to be reforged. So they're gone yep. forever. So hopefully they, like you said, hopefully they're a, a minor storm host because <laughs> they're out of the story. I think the point it was trying to make was that, yes, the Sigmari bro- Brotherhood is is was wiped out to a man it might have even said as much however the the, sto- the souls still exist it's true not, they're just not in any state that they want to be in they're being like, ripped apart by chaos right is it well either they're ripped apart by chaos but is it, if not here elsewhere don't they can't they also get scooped up by night hunt like or can't aren't the night hunt like skimming off the top and like they can so yeah. This also brings in um, a short story that was released uh, last Friday where they had a bunch of Stormcasts going into the Oubliette of Nagash and rescuing uh, Stormcast Lightning Geists. Uh, So there is a theoretical out. So even if the souls of the Stormcast that don't go to Azir get captured by the Night Haunt and get stored away, there is still a way for them to get rescued. So the Sigmarite Brotherhood has been wiped out to a man. There is still a MacGuffin that allows them to come back individually, if not as a as a whole chamber. So that is a possibility. Um, the interesting thing to me is that, uh, and you'll be the judge of that, exactly, uh, is that they've been holding all these lightning geists in the soul mills up in Azir for forever. Uh, that was actually one of the key points in Soul Wars by uh, Josh Reynolds. Um, and so we've got a lot of these free radical souls spinning all over, um, particularly in Azir with all this uh, going on. So I'm wondering if we might end up in Azir at some point in the Broken Realm saga, or if this is going to be more contained to the other seven realms. So it's possible. Take me, certainly be interesting. take me to Azir, you cowards. I want to go. I know nothing about the place. Maybe, maybe. In the Kragnos book, we will see Azir, but mm-hmm. we'll have to wait for the next episode. I don't want to wait. It's fair. <laughs> I do think there's one other thing that I don't think we mentioned, but like when the chaos energy is released into the sky, Bellicor makes some quip about like, and so began the era of cursed skies. And like they made a point of having that be in title pace. So it's mm-hmm. like, this is a, this is a big deal. Um, and I think it also would suggest that this is probably not going to be entirely contained inside. Come on. Yeah. We will see that's speculation to be sure. So if I'm wrong, you, you can, you can let me know. I don't mean to, I don't mean to jump ahead, but I think later in the book, it explicitly says that it starts to spread into the other realm. Correct. So it's, I think it's already yeah. starting. Okay. It's already starting. All right. Um, yeah. so you're right. Take, take, take uh, solace in the fact that you are correct. Yeah. Um, we do have a moment in the sun for the cruel glass creciators here. Uh, so we introduced the new model yeah. that has been uh, given to the night haunt. And these guys are just like, I don't know, puppet masters of souls. Does that seem like a valid thing from what I've heard? I mean, it, what they describe them as they almost sound like torturers right yeah mm-hmm. i mean they 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 take the souls of their enemies and then i don't know how you torture a soul but evidently they do um 
in soul wars Nagash literally pulls pieces out from the soul one at a time so that's probably what they're doing yeah yeah try listening try listening to to the moral realms and you'll know all about (laughs) i i think (laughs) no but but like seriously i i mean it's kind of cool that we get this month's exposition about a brand new model because usually they're like hey look cool new models and we're all like yeah that's awesome but here we're basically finding out about like their backstory and how they work and everything about them at the same time as the models are actually being released so um, it's pretty cool. Uh, and then they also made points of referencing how these guys were really crucial uh, to uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, very uh, Im- important uh, to finishing off <laughs> this siege of the walls of Vindicarum because somehow they are in enabling uh, or empowering the other night haunt around them so that it, the weapons of the uh stormcast just seem to stop affecting the night haunt when they're near a Krugras cruciator which is probably some reference to how they play on the tabletop that i am not aware of so we had the we had the executioner or night haunt we had the jailer night haunt with the like so now we've got the the torturer night haunt as well i feel like we're completing the set sort of yeah yeah all the all the terrible bad things. <laughs> I didn't say it was a good set. I didn't think it We're was a good cool set. Yeah. The accountant night haunt, the lawyer <laughs> night haunt. Like those are common. <laughs> Mark my like, words. Like a tax collector. No, that's the OCR. A, a spreadsheet <laughs> night haunt. <gasps> don't, also don't, the OCR. Don't get me <laughs> um, And I think, unless you guys have anything to sneak in there, that might be the end of act two. It is. That's me closing the book again. And it's well, the end of a, your, part two. Part D. Act three, Cursed Skies. Phil, you mentioned Cursed Skies. Here it is again. It must be yeah. a big deal. Probably. So what, what happens? So now that the skies are cursed, apparently that seems to have been Bellicor's big plan. It almost seems like that was like his whole plan. And this this next act is like incidental or like just sort of icing on the on the cake a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's got to he's got to finish the job, right? Well, yeah, but what is what is finishing that? Like, you would think finishing the job was making the skies all messed up. Hey, are, do you love me now, Chaos Daddies? Um, apparently not. Answer, apparently, no, no, <laughs> not. I, we don't know your name, man. Um, no, apparently he needs to take a city out too. And like his reasoning is, oh, it's an affront to the Chaos God, so I need to go take it out. I mean, there's countless chaos or well, cities. Well, well, okay, so he does make the point though of saying how, or maybe not him. In this story, they make the point of saying that the followers of Sigmar in Vindicarum are like especially uh, dedicated yeah, and zealot, and like yeah. there's flagellants everywhere, and the, like even just the regular townsfolk are like, yeah, we are ready to lay our lives down for Sigmar, and in fact, that's coming up here pretty soon. Although Careful not what you asked for, man, quite yet. Um, yeah, I think also part of it is. Right, making the cursed skies is cool, but actually trapping the stormcast underneath the cursed skies is better. And so I think he wants some fodder and he wants to repay the deal that he made with Lady Olander because he said, I'm going to give you some stormcast souls. He hasn't really done that yet. So, yeah, Yeah, casting the net isn't enough. You need to catch something with it. So, I I buy that. Um, 
So uh, Vindicarum's on the menu. Uh, and whereas before there were sort of uh, pockets of like hit and run, like secretive sort of attacks on these realm gates, he no longer needs the illusion of like secrecy or, you know. Yeah, it's time to I can't think of another word. bring down the hammer. Yeah, he's 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 leading his forces full on uh, to take down uh, Vindicarum. Uh, so as he's marching or flying or whatever it is the demons do, uh, Gardas does show up to Vindicarum with his brand of uh, Hallowed Knights. Um, and he, he rolls steel up. Steel Souls, I think. Steel Souls, yeah, specifically. Uh, and he's there to bolster the defenses. He's a little put off because he doesn't like the people because like they're a little too uh, devout um, and uh, followers of Sigmar. And this is coming from a guy who loves Sigmar. And yeah. he's like, no, this is even too much for me. Tone it down. Uh, you guys crank it, crank it down to like yeah. a seven or a yeah. six. And You're then it feels <laughs> we need you down here. We need you down here. And he almost <laughs> feels the same way about, um, the celestial vindicators. This is also one of their homes as well. Uh, and there he's more like, well, you guys are way too, way too violent. Like cool your jets, man. Um, and yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't seem like he doesn't find a lot of common ground, uh, with the vindicators. Um, he tried, he, he explains sort of the vision that they saw and the vindicators almost don't care. They're like, all right, we'll, fine. we'll let them come. We'll, we'll, like you said before, Phil, we'll gladly lay down our lives, um, to defend this place. And he's like, well, I mean, let's see if we can avoid that. <laughs> see how it goes. Um, so I do have one quick thing. Uh, the Lord Celestent of the, the Celestial Vindicators. His name is Kostos Volkar, uh, which is interesting uh, because there was a character in the old world called Volkmar the Grim, who was an intensely devout warrior priest of Sigmar. So, possible tie-in there. Yeah, maybe. Two points, making a line. (laughs) Seeing what you're laying down, picking it up. Liking it. And I think, in like, basically getting... The lay of the land when he shows up he's like so hey uh celestial vindicators what what's going on isn't this your place and basically finds out that like yeah we don't really have too many guys here to help defend the city because we're like waging war all over Kaimon because that's just what we do and we didn't think about this and now we're spread too thin to actually defend any one place and gardas is probably just like face palming hard because it's like man i gotta come in here and clean up this mess which hurts because he's steel so get it face palm steel so sorry never mind (laughs) Um, it's while while they're tending to their defenses the camera shifts and we uh head on over to the meeting of the minds, I guess, of, of all the leadership of the Karajan overlords. We're in Shaman. This is where they typically kick it. And all the, I don't know, the high <laughs> admirals uh, yeah. are in a, in a council, this, the Geldred, um, and mm-hmm. new, in the neutral territory of Madralta, which is actually where they first got together, you know, I don't know if it was centuries ago or a long time ago where they mm-hmm. had initially signed the uh, Karajan Code in the first place. They've all reassembled at this location to talk about, like, well, what are we going to do about this? Her, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's this face suggestion? Um, Which is a fun callback because the, 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 the Malta conference was actually ended, I think, one of the world wars or something like that. So it's a, was a AOSified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a pretty cool thing, uh, in my opinion. Um, we basically have this massive gathering of all of the Caradron overlords. And 
it just ends up in a incredibly large argument about everybody not being able to agree with anybody else and everybody else wanting money and all agreeing that Vindicarum really looks to be in trouble and we should probably do something about that because that's kind of in our home realm and they're disabling all these realm gates and this is really bad for business. But Zilfin only cares about business from, you know, say, the Gate of White Gold. But, you know, Mornar is like, well, I don't really care about that, but I care about this gate over here. And they just end up haggling for forever until who should walk in but Gromthy. And Gromthy basically walks in, kicks down the door, and it's just like, hey, all you stupid people, come and listen to me. And they're like, hey, the, the code doesn't allow you to speak. And he's like, I don't care about your stupid code, you stupid people. Uh, the thing is... Still, still a direct quote. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because... That's actually how they wrote it in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was wonderful writing, inspired. Uh, so The best words. <laughs> <laughs> Because of all of the the realm gates being broken and everything else going on at the moment, the ether gold is actually starting to swirl around Vindicarum. And so Gromthy's like, you idiots, if you just go and help Vindicarum, you're going to make a massive amount of profit because, number one, they're going to have to make agreements with you if you go help them. But number two, that's where the ether gold is. So why are you even arguing? And basically everyone stops at that moment and is like, that's a really good idea. We should just go do that. Let's just go all do that because that sounds super awesome. Well, they do leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger in that it he basically forces a vote to say, hey, let's stop fighting and figure out what we're going to do. And we, I don't remember which of the admirals it is, but basically they say, everybody's come down on their sides except for one admiral. It's all going to come down to her. And then Barrack yeah. Thring, the, the like yeah. really um, old school one. Yeah. And and then camera cuts away. Yeah. Hard. You'll cut. never know. Like her hand. Never. Like you, Tune in next she, time. She does a. a, a, <laughs> a, a, a you never know which way she's going to go up or down. Um, it's not Caesar, but you know what I mean. Um, cuts back to Vindicarm where all the fun's happening. And uh, Bellacor's r- arrived. And his forces are ascending up to the up to the city because right, it's up at the top of this caldera, and um, they are wrecking house basically. Like there's a lot of shanty town slums like on the outskirts and down below uh, the city, and they obviously are serving as no sort of impediment to Bellacor's advance uh, whatsoever. Um, though they do throw a lot of what we would consider like the city of Sigmar type folks, uh, like they're de- you know the devoted um, at. Uh, the demons like advancing um, just sort of to buy um, the more heavily armored defensible positions time. So like a lot of people are just sort of marching to their death, like these flagellants and other like devoted uh, folks um, just getting sent through the meat grinder of demons. But they're, I don't want to say they're glad to do it, but maybe they are because they find it's their calling to, I mean, uh, to Sigmar. Sigmar. Yeah. So, so be it. It's, they were called to do so and they're gladly give their lives, like we said before. Um, but in doing so, it allows um, those up top to set up their defensible positions. They're just raining down from different like cannon batteries and, and uh, Hellstorm rocket shooter things. And I think some of the uh, gyrocopters are flying around just lighting people up. And so uh, yeah. the ascent is not, doesn't end up being an easy one for um, the something of the first prince. 
uh, Legion. Legion. Legion of the Verse Prince. Yeah, as they're or ascending, trying to get up and into the city. Uh, also, Bellicor is here, right? He's been kind of directing everything from the shadows. But Bellicor is like, nope, right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. Here I am. This is my place. Yeah. I'm going to make this happen. Oh, I, I heard it. Particularly <laughs> grim detail is that he has made himself a throne of the recently killed and conquered people of Vindicarum. And I even mentioned that some of them aren't dead. And just, it's like, that's a unnecessary little detail, but it <laughs> sort of shows you just how messed up he is. Cause you have to think of like, what are the logistics of that? Right? Like he had to have demons specifically go and grab these people and become build him a chair. And he's a big guy. So it's going to probably be a lot of bodies. Not a, yeah. Not a small chair. <laughs> also, it's a war. Is he sitting down for Stand up, man. Um, yeah. So it seems he's like as watching it's, from the hill. He's like people in the civil war who were like, yeah, this is fun. This is entertainment. And then they realized, no, never mind. This is terrible. <laughs> um, they're sent in the hill, but the defenses seem like they're holding out. The combined forces, the free guild and the stormcast are holding their own. Um, they have a, they, uh, as Star Wars taught us, they've got the high ground, so nothing can beat that. Um, <laughs> don't, try it. Yeah, don't even try it. You get chopped in half. Um, the, uh, <laughs> until a plan is hatched, I don't know how, where it comes from or who comes up with it, but I do know that at Trezan, the emulator, you know, the emulator, I talked about him before, uh, Obviously, to be, to um, man all these cannons and rifles and other projectile-based weapons, um, there needs to be stockpile of ammunition and, I guess, gunpowder or some, some Age of Sigmar equivalent to that. Uh, and they have to store it somewhere. And so this emulator, it's in his name, uh, is gonna, makes a beeline to this um, stock of explosive MO materials. Dump. Yeah. 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 It's able to light it up. And it's, it's situated as such that... The explosion rocks the city and blows a hole in one of the walls of the, I guess, the caldera, allowing entry into town uh, for this the, the wave of demons. And so that that proves enough a weakness, you know, a, a chink in the armor that allows um, the invasion to pour in and take the fight to the streets. So whereas they were very defensible before, they've lost that advantage, and the demons are now uh, kicking butt. It's also worth noting that Loris Grimm. Uh, Gardas's second in command is Lord Castellan was right by the explosion uh, yeah. and he got lit up sure I, take did. No, I, I take no pleasure in uh, reporting this to you uh, yeah. but he was in, in the blast launched into the air and then yeah. splatted presumed dead well and the other thing is that it's very apparent that not only has Bellacourt come to take this city or as he called it to murder the city but he has done his homework, right? Like he knows where everything is and he starts to pinpoint the, the weak points or the places that will cause the most damage. Right. Um, so it is not at all a random chaos demon horde just rampaging mindlessly. Everything is being orchestrated to his plan. Yeah. Well, and, to that point, whereas before he was observing at a distance, now that the hole's sort of been blown into the wall, his demons start pouring in. The uh, first prince himself then makes himself known, and he uh, rolls up uh, the city himself um, and starts, I don't know, wrecking fools uh, left and right. 
Mm-hmm. Somehow, at some point, I don't know how this how how the handoff is made. Um, he finds himself in a position, you know, a very visible position, and he he raises up a captive that he's he's got his hands on, and lo and behold, it's actually Laura Scrim, who was not exploded completely when the 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 ammunition ammunition blew up, um, but uh, was you know captured by uh, the uh, the demons, and now Bellacor's got him. Uh, Garda sees this. Uh, you know, rushes up to go save his friend, but at the last moment or, you know, at some point, uh, Bellacor sticks his Sword of Shadows or wherever it's called. Actually, it might be Sword of Shadows. Um, Sword of Shadows. And, uh, and kills Grimm right there on the spot while Gardas has to watch. Uh, and Grimm's lightning, you know, rock, tries to rock it away, but he has nowhere to go. Um, obviously, the cursed skies are still cursed. They're not uncursed, still cursed. Uh, and it appears as if Grimm is now dead for good. Mm-hmm. Just sad. I'm super sad about that. Yeah, I'm super uh, sad. I love him. But that being said, this was a very cool moment because Bellacor does the pointing finger that's on his miniature while holding Grim. Yeah. Right? Like I I I was like, oh, that's a cool actual moment to make this a pivotal moment of the storyline right now. Because I think because I mean he basically sees Gardas and he he's like, Oh yeah. And then he like calls out to have uh, Laura Scrim brought forward and be like, hey, this guy's your buddy, right? And then stabs him because, you know, he's he's evil like that, I guess. He's got to prove it to everybody. In case you uh, didn't know. Yeah. In case you didn't know, I'm evil. Um, he's got to prove it to all the chaos daddies back home. So after watching Laura Scrim, his best buddy in the whole wide world, get stabbed by the Sword of Shadows and have his spirit lightning shoot up into the chaos skies and not go back home to be reforged uh you know Gardas kind of loses his cool usually he's like real placid level-headed it's not uh not one to be rash but he's just like you know what this guy i'm getting him uh and they they throw caution to the wind and him and the few remaining i don't remember what the numbers they list at this point but it was not a lot of Stormcast left at this point. And they just charge in and are like, we're gonna we're gonna take down Bellicor. We're gonna do this. Um and at that point, when we see him charge in, uh somehow when that fighting happens, I don't know if it was Bellicor or what, but basically it turns into a duel. It's it's not like a full clash of armies like you'd expect they everyone stands back and just watching between first prince giant demon and single stormcast gardas uh but i guess because of gardas's special azurite sword and hammer that he is able to fend off blows from uh bellicor but overall i mean he's he's not winning uh bellicor is surprisingly fast for his size and super powered with chaos magic he does manage to strike like one blow and like weaken bellicor's wing right doesn't he get like a slice into it and yeah it slices at it he stabs his wing and bellicor just sort of growls at him and it's like that hurts but uh, you know i'm i'm a demon i don't really care about pain and then Gardas is like you're a demon <laughs> that's crazy and it seems like it's gonna it's the end of the line for Gardas yet again. And this dude has been reforged like a whole bunch of times. 
yeah. Ruby Forging really isn't on the table anymore with the uh, fancy clouds. But right before Bellacor can finish the job or, or, or take out our our and our shining our shining stormcast boy uh the a shining light uh, comes beaming down from the skies like through the clouds up above um and what it ends up being is uh the the air cavalry which is the karajan overlords come um bursting through the clouds from above sort of scattering them a little bit and allowing light to, to beam downward uh, as they come in uh to save the day uh guns ablazing uh the cannons firing uh, just wrecking the demons every which way as they come swooshing in, uh, lighting up all the forces of chaos and driving them from the city. I didn't really explain that super dramatically, but it was dramatic. Like you can like trumpet music playing and, and stuff and the music swells and dramatic camera angles, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. The whole shebang. Guns firing everywhere. Lens flare, Michael Bay explosions, like just go into town. Yeah. 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 Sure. And the town is Vindicarum. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple cool moments that I think deserve being called out here. Uh, first one, uh, as they're, you know, flying around, shooting down demons and ghosts, uh, Atrazan decides that he's going to get up there to try and uh, stop them because he's been all over in this story. Very important. Yeah. Um, and they try to shoot him out of the sky. And obviously he's got his magic, so he's like shielding himself from their shots. And they're like, man, can't get through this guy. And uh, Grubda, Clar's daughter, just decides, you know what? Let's just ram this guy. Let's just hit him. <laughs> and they just fly right into him, and he just gets splatted with the prow of their ship. And I think it actually says that the prow has like a special name or something. It's like the gold hammer or something, which is pretty, it's pretty metal. Uh, but yeah, so, you know. If you can't shoot demons to death, just hit him with a ship. Exactly. It, it totally works. I'll, I'll keep that in my back pocket if it ever uh, ever comes up. You never know. Um, uh, what You said there are a couple of interesting things that were worth highlighting. Did you have other other highlights you wanted to call out from this battle? It's the last, it's the last chance we get. Yeah. Uh, so so the other the other interesting moment is that they they brought the fire slayers with them. And the Fire Slayers get dropped off to fight some Zinch demons. And they specifically hunt down Fetanax, who is the one who led the attack on Gold Grimstock. And they just, I guess, uh, you'd say just throw all caution to the wind and are like, we're going to get this guy. Uh, which I guess is the whole point of the Barazak Doom. They're like, they don't care if they die. They just need to exact their revenge and get through uh to finish whatever quest it is that they've decided to swear their oath to complete and in this case it was to defeat the demons and so they get their you know they get their revenge and take down fetinax it's pretty sweet well deserved well earned i actually also have a uh, interesting point <clears throat> so they're talking about the armada coming down. And it says, quote, from the latter came squadrons of gun haulers and single pilot fighter craft swarming like angry glow jackets from a stirred up hive. <clears throat> that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Single pilot fighter craft. Yeah. For Caragon Overlords. I would love to see that. 
are gun haulers too people they are indeed and they're also um they're not fighters they're escort vehicles hmm. all right that is cool uh what i thought was cool was uh bellicor is fed up with all this uh floaty dwarf nonsense and he <laughs> rises to the air yeah uh to take down um the main like the main ship which is the one that we've been following throughout the story uh captained by uh admiral humboldson um and uh so he uh Belcourt gets up there and starts you know attacking the ship and is able to eventually land on it he starts exuding some like terror fear aura that uh sort of brings Humboldtson uh to his knees right he starts uh having visions of all the things that he's ever been afraid of in his life you know losing his ship and, and so on and so forth um and it seems as if at the, at the very least Belcourt is going to be able to take this ship down um but at the last minute uh Belcourt uh, realizes that there's this uh, intense, strong power, and and he sees, um, oh God, what's his name, Gromthy, uh, sort of standing up to him at the top of the ship, and Bellicor realizes, well, no, there's there's something more to this dude. I he recognizes an intense power that he had thought had long since left the realms, but apparently it was back, and uh, it was such a power that he realized, no, this is a this is a an element to my plan that I hadn't planned for, and I better get out of here because I hadn't sort of taken this into account and who knows what's going to happen. And he's, he's, you know, obviously trying to stick to his plans otherwise. Um, so he essentially flees in fear, uh, leaving um, the Duarden to clean up, clean up the city. Cause without his presence, um, the demons uh, fall soon thereafter and the city is saved by the Karajan overlords. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then there's a par- there's a parade, oh, an award ceremony. They give out medals, ticker uh, tape. Yeah, Hap- happy day. Uh, yeah. The city of Vindicarum took heavy, heavy losses. Um, most of its defenders slaughtered, but at, at the end of the day, the city yet stands. Yeah, the city stands, but there's like almost nothing left of it. It's like, well, we weren't destroyed, therefore we stand. Yeah, but it it's it is a ruin. But it proves that their faith was well placed, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sigmar didn't let them down today, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says more than half of the celestial vindicators had fallen in battle, along with nearly all of the city's mortal regiments. It's uh, what we call a pyrrhic victory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But a victory nonetheless. And so after that, we sort of catch up with some of our characters and and. Um, get a, a little bit of an epilogue of, of the slacks section. Um, although Bellacor had fled the field, he, uh, we get a little insight into his sort of inner monologue a little bit. And we get a sense that he still considers this a slight victory, like, which is to say that he still accomplished a lot of what his goals were. And the only reason he wasn't able to take the city down is because there was that unplanned for element that was grumpy. And despite that, he still thinks that, Either A, the Chaos God should smile kindly on him, or he has set the stage such that he can continue his great work and uh, succeed later down the line. So uh, no skin off his back. He doesn't. Uh, he, he still uh, is satisfied with the results of his um, invasion. I mean, who wouldn't be? The, uh, the cursed skies uh, seem to be spreading um, throughout Tremont and then maybe even beyond. And so it seems as if that is going to set the stage um, for events to come in the near future woof right yeah um 
what else did we see? What else happens after the uh, the main thr- uh, thrust of the story? Well, I think the only thing that I can recall that we really have left is there's just a a, um, a bit of a a side that is a dialogue between Humboldtson and uh, Gromthy. And Gromthy basically says, you know, it was really cool that all of the Karajan could come together and we could all fight together. And wouldn't it be great if all the Dawi, and he specifically, they make a point that he uses this archaic term for the dwarves as a whole, could work together again. And Humboldtson generally doesn't uh, like that viewpoint. He sort of makes, you know, he says, how, like, how is that going to help us with gaining any profit? Like, you you would expect us to, I don't remember the exact quote, but to paraphrase, it's like, you would expect us to go to battle just for the benefit of the realms and working together and, like, bolstering our unity and fighting for honor rather than fighting for money like what would be the point that doesn't keep ships in the air that doesn't keep trade lanes open um and to that gromthy sort of just lets it go and seems disappointed and like visibly seems more aged after that and then uh just disappears and the only thing that would suggest that he was ever on the ship to begin with was the remaining pipe smoke in the breeze. So uh, a bit of a mystery there that hopefully will get wrapped up a little bit more in the next Broken Realms. Yeah. I like how he says that after hearing um, Umboldson, like give his little spiel about, you know, profit and all that jazz, um, Gromthy, uh, you know, like you said, suddenly feeling very old and tired says, well, I suppose I cannot grudge you that which seems like yeah. also a specific freight. I mean, not that there aren't grudges in the moral realms there are, but like for him to specifically say, suppose I can't grudge you that, um, that with the Dowie really uh, cements um, a, a, a character out of time a little bit um, mm-hmm. for me here. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, yeah, and I think that was the last scene that we have in the story. You guys, we might have finished. We might have finished it. We might have. We read. Um, we read the book. We, we don't think. read the book uh, to you, everybody. Um, but we're not finished here. We've still got a few more things to do before we wrap up. Um, how about we, instead of what we normally let's hop into listener questions right now because maybe it, it pulls up some points uh, that we thought were interesting, anyways, and we can riff off of what some of the folks had asked. Since we were just talking about uh, Duarden, let's continue that train of thought um, with a question from Duke Elagos who asks, uh, what do you guys think will be the impact of the increased Karadrim presence and influence in Vindicarum? Does anything jump out at you? So as you'd mentioned earlier, the gate of white gold was necessary for getting supplies in and out of Vindicarum. As payment for helping Vindicarum, my guess would be that the Karadrim are going to come to some sort of agreement to be able to be a supply chain for them, but they're going to have to pay them probably kind of a lot. Um, But in terms of like longer term ramifications, I don't, 
I don't know. I like, I have a hard time thinking that the Corregion are going to change their ways at all. They're probably going to kind of go back to trying to do what they've always done other than that they've negotiated a new trade deal. Oh, so you don't think that some sort of Duarden God is going to be able to unify the dwarves and have them change their ways? I'm not saying it's not a possibility. Yeah, I, no, I, I kid. I kid. <laughs> I don't mean to put word, words in your mouth. Uh, Paul, what do you think uh, the impact of the KO presence and influence of Vindicarum is going to be? Um, I'm unsure as to what's going to be specifically about Vindicarum because the Celestial Vindicators are all about faith and the KO have none, right? Uh I don't know that that mixes well to form an expanded presence in Vindicarum unless the KO are like, all right, well, we get that section of the iron collar, the rim of the caldera that went out. All right, that's ours now. So we're going to make our own settlement on on the ground, but that doesn't seem like something the KO would do. Um, so I'm, I, I have a hard time imagining the Celestial Vindicators and the hard faith-based um, mortals of Vindicarum meshing well with the KO. Um, I, I do imagine that they would be swarming over the skies of Vindicarum and perhaps have a lot of sky buoys or even like sky watchtowers or whatever else going on, but I can't see it actually affecting the city itself all that much. Okay, right on. Um, I wonder uh, with the cursed skies. We don't know how long this cursed skies thing is going to is going to go on for. Maybe it's forever. And if that's the case, like maybe Chaman isn't necessarily the the purview of Stormcast anymore. With this, like obviously huge issue that you know would need to be contend with. And if that aspect of the forces of order, whether it's Stormcast or you know their cities that would be under the Stormcast protection, if they are. Um, not as protected from Stormcast, that maybe the KO become more of a power in Shaman. I mean, they already are. They're obviously a, a huge power in Shaman, but maybe even more so if a lot of the realm is left sort of uncontrolled by those direct followers of Sigmar. I mean, I'd be interested to see if that plays out in some way. Like they have more control over the, the realm itself. Yeah, for uh, sure. Duke also asked, uh, will the Karadran unification at the second conference of Madralta last? And so that was kind of what I was joking at you, uh, Phil, maybe not specifically, but do we think that this unification is going to stick? Um, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, we'll go to Paul this time. We'll mix it up. Uh, I don't think it's going to stick for all that long. Um, but it might stick to the end of Kragnos, depending on how that plays out. Um, or it might stick as long as Gromfi decides to stick his nose into the business. He seems to have quite a lot of power over their decision-making capabilities. So that'd be my opinion. He does indeed. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I mean, that last dialogue, I think, foreshadows that it, it's probably not going to work um and i i i mean i hope i hope we see gromthy again because i think he's an interesting character but it almost seems like maybe he's sort of resigned himself to the fact that like yeah maybe maybe i can't actually bring them together and kind of knows that there's never going to be a true unity but maybe for certain events they can be like called upon to really fight as one so maybe maybe we'll see them come together one more time before the end of broken realms but i don't 
I think like in the day to day, they'll all go back to doing their own, their own thing. Um, do you guys have thought about if they're going to come back together in, in that last Broken Realms book? Um, there's already so many factions that haven't gotten the spotlight. If they take the time to highlight KO in mm-hmm. that book and not some other faction, I think I'll, maybe not me, but a lot of other people are going to be disappointed. So for yeah. their sake, they better not mm-hmm. like dwell on the uh, Karadran, um overlords. Uh, my only thought about the unification, otherwise, or normally I wouldn't think that the unification was going to would stick for all that long, except for the fact that they keep talking about the unification of Dwarden sort of across the mortal realms. Like that keeps coming up as like a story like plot point. And so the fact mm-hmm. that they keep referencing it makes me wonder that if something's going to come of it, right? I don't know what, can't pinpoint what, what it would look like or what, what that would do to the mortal realms or the, mm-hmm. the Dwar- Dwarden race. But the fact that it this is not the first time we've seen this yeah. thought. Yeah. It makes me wonder if you know something that actually is going to come of it. I, I will point out that not every Skyhold was on that Armada charge. Did say uh, that almost every Skyhold. It didn't actually say all the Skyholds. So they aren't completely unified, even in this like awesome moment of the cavalry charge they aren't even unified completely there. So uh, those were our Dwarden questions. Um, what we've been chatting about this cursed sky, obviously it's, it's got a, it's got an official title in the book, so it must have a far reaching importance. Um, so Sever was asking, um, um, since the realm gates are actually broken and not just corrupted, can Shaman ever recover? What do you guys think? Can it ever recover? Phil, you go first. So I'm going to say yes, but I don't know. I don't know that it'll ever be the same. Um, So the realm gates, and I mean, you can go back and find more information about this, but as we mentioned even before and has been mentioned in previous lore that realm gates are just like a focus for the astral matrix and uh it's a way to like connect points in the the eight realms um and the whole of the astral matrix is actually very important to the plan the great plan for the seraphon so they're gonna have to fix that just to restabilize um the geomantic webs in the astral matrix um but I don't know that they're going to try and rebuild and re-erect any uh, corrupted and destroyed realm gates. So my, my guess would be that, yes, like the, the corruption will probably eventually be purged, but I don't know that it's ever going to be the same. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Paul, what do you think? I, I agree because, well, we know that uh, Shimon recovered from the Age of Chaos and Bellacor is basically trying to raise another Age of Chaos. Right. So is it possible to recover from this? Yes. Will it be the same? No. Uh, Because Shaman did not even recover completely from the first realm of chaos, uh, which is why the um, why the map of the spiral crux, the spiral crux is the way it is, because it used to be perfect geomantic shape. And now it's these like swirling shards. Mm -hmm. So, um, but even while being those sprilling shards, it still recovered and it became order. So I think re- it, it depends on your 
definition of the word recovered. Um, but I think it's definitely possible for sure. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add other than echo the fact that, yeah, I think recovery is possible, but what that recovery looks like is going to be up for debate, like uh, um, re recovery, but in a, in a different form. Plus, we know Chaman to be a realm of change, right? Like that that's one of its hallmarks is that it's it's often a fairly changeable, malleable um, realm, which is always why Zinch has his sights set on it. Um, and so because of that, like this in a sense, is just yet another evolution in what that realm is going to look like. I mean, it's a, a terrible, chaotic, like, uh, evolution, but, like, it's it's just another version of change. Um, and it always seemed to me as, man, I didn't think I was going to answer this question, but here we go. Um, it, it always seemed to me that it was one of the most wild and alien of the realms. And so, like, this really just, this seems par for the course. Like, it's not all that different. Um, and so the folks that live here are probably used to having to deal with change in, like, wild environments. And so, I mean... They're going to have to deal with uh, the state of things um, now as well. Uh, Sever, 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 uh, friend of the show, and uh, Duke Elgos both asked questions very similar. Sever asked, uh, what comes next for the Stormcast trapped on Shaman? And then Duke Elgos asked, how will the Stormcast deal with the cursed skies? Um, simply get rid of it, or will GW come up with a new reforging process? What do you think is next for the Stormcast reforging, knowing that it's got you know a, a very glaring... <laughs> a glaring uh, counter in this curse, guys. What's, what's next on that front? Um, I think Paul's first this time. Uh, so I think that they can deal with it. We already had the short story um, last week about the Stormcast going into the Oubliette and regaining the Stormcast souls. Uh, so that's one way that they're going to be dealing with it. Um, the other possibility is Gromfi seems to have some godlike connection, godlike power, whatever. Uh, and the thing that reforges the Stormcast are the six smiths. So perhaps you could relocate the six smiths to a place where they can gather more of the lightning geists. You know, it'd, it'd be interesting to have more of a mobile anvil instead of a permanent anvil. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to do a relocation or a new way of reforging, but it's definitely a possibility for sure. Yeah. Phil, what do you think? So I, I also agree. I think that they have a precedent for Stormcast being able to manually gather souls. Um, I mean, that was a whole big thing in Soul Wars. Um, so I do expect we'd continue to see that. In terms of like plans going forward because that's that's probably not a very practical process of like oh yeah we'll just send stormcast in to get them back that'll be fine um to places like the eight points um but i do wonder if maybe this means that are we gonna have to see a like stepping back of stormcast are, are they not going to be like, basically, I'm thinking about, like, in the Roman armies, when the empire gets stretched so th thin, it's like, well, we can't have the best guys everywhere because that's just not practical. So then we have to have, uh, you know, lots of conscripted, your non-Romans, um, non that you're just saying, we need soldiers, here's some Roman equipment, basic training. You're going to be the guys who 
uh, fill out the ranks and um, sort of keep the engine rolling while we work to try and send the main forces to all the places that we need to deal with. Um, because they can get more humans. Like that's that's less of a problem. But Stormcast are a limited commodity. And if we if we have to worry about them not being able to be remade, we have to be more careful about where we allocate those resources. So I, I, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but it kind of feels like they might have to take a step back. Yeah, right on. Um, I predict that, this is a scry, I predict that we will find out more about the Stormcast solution to reforging with a Juice Sigmar 3.0 with a new storm or a new chamber being released. So hold on for that and all will be revealed uh is my scry uh let's switch over to some bellacor questions so bram chillman wanted to know uh, what impact does bellacor's plans and actions have for archeon and how will he react to bellacor you guys archeon has been absent from this whole broken realms how is he sitting this one out what is he doing um so what do you think uh what will his reaction be to the events of uh, Broken Realms, Bellacor? What do you think? Uh, Phil goes first this time. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't. I don't think we have a great idea of what what Archeon's been up to, and like, how is he going to react to Bellacor coming back? I my my gut says that he's kind of going to laugh about this. Um, sort of like, ha. Huh you thought that you were going to be able to take my place. Um, Cause obviously they've been kind of back in, you know, duking this out, but obviously Archeon's always come out on top. And so it's probably just thinking that it's like, you know, it's uppity Bellicor trying his tricks again. Um, but in terms like, he'll probably definitely take advantage of the situation. Um, I mean, there's, there's gotta be ways that he's going to be able to take, this and turn it to his advantage um i think anything that weakens the stormcast probably helps our count a lot right on uh paul what do you think uh i think arcan will be not happy whatsoever um he took the eater of tomes who was the guy who was trying to destabilize the realm gate and get arcan into his ear and he made him blow up um, also, the Gaunt Summoners are the personal lieutenants of Archaeon, so he's lost one. And he's lost a Silver Tower, and he's lost. he has had a second one disabled. Um, so I don't think Archaeon is very happy with Bellacor whatsoever at this point. Would he know that Bellacor did those things, though? Um, or was involved? I assume he has spies as well, and I assume... I don't know. The, the Gaunt Summoners have ways of predicting the future as well. True. So it is not beyond the realm of possibility. But whether or not he has direct first-person reports, I, I can't answer that for sure at all. In my head canon, uh, all of Bellacor's people are actually Archaeon's people. But I, I have no proof of that to be true uh, whatsoever. Um, I like to picture uh, or this this the ramifications of this these events Bellacor is striving and working and trying to get all you know trying to accomplish so much uh i'm not sure arcan's going to acknowledge what has gone down it's beneath his notice um despite that how ridiculous that sounds considering you know the ramifications of what Bellacor did but i'd like to think that arcan is so above it and 
he's got his own things going on and it really doesn't matter what Bellacor does. And I really hope to see that play out. Again, that's a headcanon of mine. Um, <laughs> Magnus had a question. He says, excluding certain Im- individuals, what specific nations and factions in the mortal realms does Bellacor seem most likely to direct his energy and machinations towards and why? Uh, it's He must mean after cursed skies happen. Um, what do you guys think? Does he? Do you think Bellacor has his sights on nations or factions beyond what we've seen here? I, I would think so. Um, excluding the certain individuals, so I have to assume excluding Archaon... Um, I have to assume excluding Lady Olander since she's a very specific uh, character in this setting. Um, and I have to assume excluding Malerion since he's the shadow god. Um, where he's looking to go next, uh, he seems to be a planner, right? And he seems to take a long time to set up his punches. So I don't see him making any big moves in the near future unless he is goaded or required to. I could see him being goaded into action by situations, but I can't see him acting upon his ire unless it's going to be, again, Olander to try and escape this curse that she has him under. Uh, Phil, what do you think? Any nations or factions what will be in Bellacor's crosshairs next? Yeah, I, so, I I mean, he makes those references to how he felt like, well, he didn't ultimately succeed, his plans generally succeeded. So, I mean, he's probably going to continue to have the First Legion keep messing with Stormcast. But, I mean, if his ultimate goal is to get the attention and the favor of the Chaos Gods... I'm not really sure what his next play is because he's got to make sure that what he does next is big enough that it would help further that goal again. Because I mean, it almost, I mean, it almost seems like one of those situations where, uh, the gods probably almost probably took pleasure in seeing him fail again, just because I know I did (laughs) like, They've they've probably are used to this, and so they're always like, "Oh, maybe he's going to do it this time." And they're watching and waiting and enjoying all the you know blessings or not blessings, but all the uh, sacrifices and things that are being made in their honor. And then ultimately, it fails, and they go, "Huh, Bellacor again, uh, good old Bellacor." Um, and so it just it's he's always he's just just out of his reach. And so I have to imagine that he's going to, you know, uh, take maybe another thousand years to lay out his next big plan. Either that or he's just going to feel like he can roll up on Archeon now and demand his rightful place on that throne. And then... (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of that he could do to like top what he's done. I mean, I guess he could just try and take out another city that isn't going to be saved by the Krajan overlords or, you know, insert other faction here. But like, if he needs to make a, a grand gesture, like you need to go for the the champ if you want to get the, you know, the belt. And so all this seems, all, all this work that he did in this book seems, you know, very interesting and, and, and very impressive. But at the end of the day, it, that's not going to be what gets you the crown. It's it's going to be taking the crown from the person who has it. The way that they sort of had 
Bellacore be, for lack of a better term, a, you know, near omniscient character who is like known how everything was going to happen except for the final act of this plan for like the last thousand years that he's planned this thing. It kind of makes it seem like he's going to want to set something up again where he he knows all the variables and how to move all the pawns and uh, be three steps ahead of everybody. Yeah, I mean, that he is going to be drawn to that sort of uh, move. Uh, I agree. Like, he's not going to he's not going to arm wrestle Archeon. That's for sure. Um, so I think that's all the time we have for listener questions, but I will give you guys a chance to maybe pick uh, one more interesting thing if there's anything else you guys want to talk about uh, fr- from the story here. I mean, if, if, if we can have a discussion about who Gromsley is, I think that'd be cool. Yes, that's a great one. Let's do that. I'm surprised nobody asked about it. Um, perfect, yeah, perfect, no, perfect. Yeah. Well, Gromsley. everybody just cried about it instead of asking us. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we already, but we, you guys, we already talked about this before we started recording. Um, let's oh, give man. me, give me your hot takes, uh, uh, Paul. You, you offered it. Who do you, who do you think Gromsley is? Um, I think that Gromsley is some combination of all three. Uh, Dwarden characters that we know and love, Grungy, Grimnir, and Grombrindle. We should have had you go last. That's that's like the final, that's like the last answer you give, but it's too late. We already started. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, And the reason why I say that is just because he has aspects of all three. He has the tattoos of Grimnir. Uh, He has the inner fire, perhaps, of of Grungy uh, and the the wish to unify the Dwarden. But he also has the white beard and the... uh, the pick of Grombrindle. He's just, he's got a lot of everybody in one place together. Um, and I, I think it is possible that he could be all three of those, but it seems more possible that he is a new thing, a new uh, avatar or something in the realms. Right on. I buy that. And it's it's fun because in the sense you made the argument for every possibility. So it's, you, you've <laughs> argued for everyone. Um, Phil. I hedged my bets. <laughs> yeah, I said exactly what you did. Yeah, possibly uh, be wrong if I say it's everybody. Um, so it, I think, I mean, I don't know that it necessarily has to be any one, but I guess if I had to stake my claims, I'd say that he's probably Grombrindle, but I think that he was probably given like he would so so right Grungni forsake or for forsook what what is the past tense of yeah that's forsaken yeah um so he he you know left left the dwarves again which maybe he should stop doing that uh it's gonna be hard to have people believe in you if you don't help him out <laughs> um but he's probably feeling like he doesn't want to face his children yet, or maybe that he can't because he still feels like they don't, they've turned their backs on him. So he doesn't feel like he can go himself to be like, Hey, I'm back guys. You should listen to me and we can be cool again because that's probably not going to happen. Um, so he instead grants power to Grombrindle and says, Hey, you can go and help. And I, and I almost wonder if like, was Grombrindle's spirit, one of the heroes that was released during the Necroquake and was re- reforged by Grugni back into this new body. 
and given additional power by Grugni so that he can then go back to the dwarves to sort of be his avatar and also a spokesperson for him to sort of gauge gauge the room a little bit like before he makes his grand entrance be like hey so you know maybe that unity stuff maybe that's not so bad again um which it sounds like maybe they don't actually like that too much but sure sure um i think he's been presented intentionally with aspects of uh different possibilities to then you know throw people off the scent so that we could have this exact same conversation basically G- the gw writers wrote it in such a way that it would it would uh, lend itself to conversation on the moral realms podcast um i'm leaning towards <laughs> thank you nice of them to think of us yeah yeah I, exactly I really do appreciate it um i'm leaning towards grombandal uh, just because his beard was white and that's basically all I'm going off of. I'm not going <laughs> to consider any other evidence, uh, and any Keep other form. Yeah. I'm a simple man who likes white beards. Um, <laughs> can't remember. Oh, the other thought was, is talking about where, where he came from. There's actually been some shorts, like other stories in the moral realms that maybe even harken back to the age of myth that, um, the white dwarf has shown up in. And so this isn't mm. even, even the modern era of these mm-hmm. types of stories aren't, aren't the first time that we've seen Grumbandral. And I don't know how canon, you know, some of these black library stories have been, but um, I think it's a, a seed that has been planted a while back. And so mm-hmm. um, it, it yeah. then makes me wonder if the, the possibility of it being him is, is uh, more likely, but I'm not sure. I can't wait yeah. to find out. Or maybe we'll never find out. Maybe they're doing this on purpose just to mess with us. And by us, I mean, again, those on the Mortal Realms podcast right right here. Mm-hmm. Yep. On the center of every universe, as far as I'm concerned. The White Dwarf has been publishing uh, Grombrindle stories every month by David Geimer. Um, so that would lead to me strength to the argument that it is Grombrindle because they've been tying the lore in from all the different aspects. Because the White Dwarf has been tying into Broken Realms, has been tying into Catacombs, has been tying into everything. So since everything ties into everything, it would kind of make sense that Gromthi would be Grombrindle and we get an introduction and an examination of how he helps the Dwarden to be more Dwarden. Um, He also does use old-fashioned words in those stories as well. Very cool. All right. Um, my only thought, the only interesting point I wanted to bring up is the uh, the fact that um, Bellicor was able to find the bone place, the burial place of Lady Olinder through the aid of uh, his uh, shadow demons that are under his employ. Mm-hmm. And they're literally specifically called out shadow demons from Olgu. And I thought that was cool as heck. Yeah. And that's all I have to say on that yeah. matter. Well, it's like one of the realms that we know almost nothing about at this point. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they've talked about shadow uh, shadow demons a couple times now from Olgu. So, like, yeah. that's one of the only yeah. things we do know about Olgu. Well, and Velikor also does have like a massive army of harpies, apparently, that are in his home place as well. So, it's possible he could go after the KO for ruining his plans. Uh, he's got enough flying troops to be able to do a mess of damage, so that's quite possible. Um, <laughs> And if you want to wrap us up, Paul, with your final uh, final opinions on the book, you're more than welcome to do so. Cool, cool. I did enjoy this book quite a bit. Uh, I believe that I enjoyed Techless more. Um, I put it on par with Marathi. Uh, I felt some sorrow for having the realms actually trashed a bit. That was not my favorite thing. Um, so, But I, I definitely still enjoyed it. Two thumbs up. 
two thumbs up. I love it. Uh, Phil, what do you got? How'd you feel? Yeah, I, I really liked this book. Um, I think I complete opposite. I, I actually thought I, I thought this one was better than Teclas. Um, and I guess some of that was maybe just because I felt like some of Teclas was just sort of like back and forth the armies and like, and this is how this battle went. This is how this battle went. And it was like, that's cool. Uh, let's, let's move the story forward though. And then all of a sudden the ending came and I was like, Whoa, what, wait a minute, what happened? Um, but you know, it was still good. I liked it, but I think this one, it, it had a better pacing for me. Um, and I really liked how the story went out and, uh, it also had Seraphon. So, you know, uh, it helps, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I actually think this is a really great story. Um, and I would definitely recommend it for anybody who likes the lore of the mortal realms. Um, I, dislike this book because Laura's Grimm died and I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. No, um, I liked it. I, 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 as Paven likes to say, and I'm going to steal his line in that, like um, the broken realms have, have been some of the best sort of stories that uh, GW has put out in the sort of Warhammer fantasy slash age of Sigmar uh, universes. And I, I agree with that, which is why I'm saying it. Um, I maybe liked the, the facts, the details of Broken Realms Techless a little bit better. However, I think the story was delivered better. It was presented better. It was told better. And so yeah. maybe the the what uh, didn't wasn't you know wasn't as interesting to me as maybe some of the previous ones. I did like the delivery of the story uh, much better. And I, maybe it was the variety, the different scenes, the different um, sort of factions that we interacted with. I, I really can't put my finger on it. It just seemed like it was just better told. Um, but beyond that, I now that we've had enough of these Broken Realms books, they're all sort of, despite the fact that they're very distinct stories separate unto themselves, they're all sort of starting to paint a picture, like a unifying picture across, um, you know, the, the books that have been presented. And in doing so, I'm sort of losing the individual, individuality of each one, and I'm starting to see, to see the forest for the trees. And in doing so, I, I, I'm going to look back on this, I'm sure, and sort of take them all as a whole. And, in, and because of that, uh, I'm only enjoying them more and more so uh for those who are interested if you like the first two i think you're probably gonna like this one as well um it sort of continues that trend uh and because of it i recommend it um any other thoughts from you guys bring on kragnos yeah agreed um i also want to take a minute and just say real quick thanks to gdw uh for sending us this book uh, they sent it to us a little early so we could get a jump on it in preparation for this episode so for that we uh greatly appreciate it very kind of them and uh before i do my signed off i'll give you one final question that i don't need a response from i just need you to just need to laugh soak it in enjoy it uh but klaus ma asks uh what the hell is going on and with that, it's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Uh, Paul, where can they find you on the internet? At PJ Shard. Uh, Phil, where can they find you? Well, I'm hanging around in our Discord quite a bit, so you can find me in there. If you want to learn more about Underworlds, come and listen to our other podcast, What the Hex, with me and Davey. And I'm Aaron, and you can find me on Twitter at Dosesos. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com.
And nine's even <laughs> like Nurgle's number or something, right? So the fact yeah, that you could fight seven. nine of them at once. Oh, seven. seven. That's right. Nine is Zinch. Man, what am I doing? And you're a Zinch dude. I am. Man, Zinch. Who said you? I'm I thought you walked out oh, of I'm here. Not, I'm not, I'm uh, not sure. Sheriff, yeah, <laughs> you walked out of here. Uh, get out of here. Get out right now.